Welcome to a brand new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Yes, it's been a month since we've done our flagship show. We've done a bunch of Behold episodes since then. So if you haven't checked those out, uh, please go over to our Facebook or our Mixcloud. Uh, Behold is our spin-off podcast where we talk about things other than genre. Although, you know, genre is not excluded from there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, things that we don't talk about here. Lah, but we're mad excited to be back for the flagship show because... Man, uh, it's kind of been a dry couple of months, three or four yeah. months because of COVID. <laughs> uh, I mean, not dry, like, there's still titles coming out, but lesser than usual. But I think we're starting to get back into the groove of things. Cinemas are opening, movies are being released. So uh, we have a pretty packed episode for you uh, this month because we'll be talking about probably the biggest release of the of the month. It is uh, Tenet, uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, new film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, and lots of other big titles like like uh, Umbrella Academy we'll be talking about, Infinity Train, uh, the new Transformers series, uh, Tales of Arcadia is back, uh, and, and lots more. Lah. We'll be also be talking about, uh, we'll be bringing back genre equality issues uh, when yeah. we talk about the issues uh, facing the genre industry. Uh, in this case, I'll be talking about the massive layoffs going on uh, over at DC Comics. And I will be talking about Japan's latest crackdown on uh, anime and manga piracy, uh, R.I.P., uh, Kiss Enemy and Kiss Manga. Um, but first, uh, let's talk about you know a real person who passed away. Uh, breaking news uh, of the day that we are recording today, actually, just this morning, uh, we found out that uh, King T'Challa himself, Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, uh, has passed away uh, due to colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any any thoughts about this? Oh man, I I I woke up to the news and and I was I was pretty shocked because I had no idea he was um, suffering from cancer. Apparently, he kept it quite uh, under wraps, huh? Yeah, so just going through like the stories and all the tributes that were going on and just like some of the things that the family were sharing, like it's pretty insane to think that over the last four years he's been battling colon cancer while at the same time like producing the kind of work that he's been doing, which is mm. kind of insane. Yeah, he was diagnosed the year that Black Panther came out. So everything he's done since then, uh, he's been doing in the middle of chemotherapy, uh, surgeries, you know, films like The Five Bloods uh, and, and tons of others uh, that he's been doing. Mm-hmm. while dealing with colon cancer and keeping it under wraps and yeah. and you know it's kind of no wonder in recent interviews he's looked a bit thinner a bit yeah. frailer you know but like you know this is kind of the benefit of hindsight like not, none of us saw this coming nobody knew yeah yeah so it's very sad um rest in peace chadwick yeah um interesting to note that he actually passed away on uh jackie robinson day uh if you don't know he actually got his breakout role playing jackie robinson mm, in yeah. a film called 42 uh, he today is also uh, at least the day of this recording, like the day he passed away, is also Jack Kirby's birthday, and Jack Kirby co-created Black Panther, so a uh, bit of kismet there, you know. And uh, he will certainly be remembered alongside uh, those greats as well, uh, because his career actually hasn't been too long, you know. Um, yeah. He started out at the age of in his mid thirties, actually. He he passed away at the age of forty three, uh, and his first big film role, his real breakout role, was in twenty thirteen. So it's been it's been less than a decade, but. But what a career he's oh. had in in that short span of time, man. Yeah, such great performances from him. I I mean, like some of the titles that he did were definitely you know went under the radar, mm. but every single one of them only hit you know stellar performances from from Chadwick Boseman. Yes, yes. If you only knew, do know him as Black Panther, go check out Forty Two where he plays uh, Jackie Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, go check out uh, the film where he plays uh, Jackie Brown. You know, uh, two real iconic biopics that they picked Chadwick. Chadwick Boseman to do, uh, and and of course you know genre fans obviously know him as Black Panther. He was in f- no less than four films in the span of you know two 
two years. Um, Civil War, Black Panther, Infinity War, Endgame, you know, all that he was, all that he was filming as he was dealing with this. Uh, and most recently, The Five Bloods just came out. Uh, yeah. The Spike Lee's new joints over at Netflix. Do check it out. Great performance there for him as well. Uh, and actually, he has one more film coming out this year uh, mm-hmm. that he managed to uh, complete filming before he passed. Uh, it's called uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, so we do have more work to look out for him coming up, like, even though uh, he has sadly passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking forward it, to watching that. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, uh, as Black Panther, he just you know exuded this... Uh, this kind of regality and uh, a kind of like decency and, and, and grounded power that like people like Christopher Reeves had uh, and he'll be sorely missed. And I, I do wonder what, what's going to happen with the Black Panther franchise going forward, although that's yeah. not important at the moment. Yeah, I mean like I, I think in, in the midst of uh, the family grieving and all that, Marvel hasn't said anything yet, um, which, is, mm-hmm. which is wise of them. So we'll, we will see. I mean like it really does seem as though uh, going into what are we now, phase, phase four? Four, yeah. Yeah, so going to phase four, Marvel has its own plans, and I we don't actually know if any of that has been derailed. We don't actually know if uh, the the um the exec studios were were privy to the to his struggles, mm. um and all of that. So that that will probably play out over the the end of the year. I'm guessing. That's true. Yeah. Uh. So we'll do look out for that, lah. I'm I'm not sure that it's gonna be recasted or or maybe like you know someone like Shuri will take over the role. Who knows, right? Yeah. Uh. But yeah. Um. We'll, we'll see what happens to that, lah. But but for now, like uh, R.I.P. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. He'll be he'll be sorely missed. Uh. Mm-hmm. And anyways, uh, let's move on to our regular show. Uh, first up is uh, maybe not our favorite topic of the month, <laughs> but it it it's certainly the most uh, uh, it's it's certainly the biggest, lah. I I don't think that's that's uh yeah. that can be doubted. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, in in the dearth of kind of material that we've had to work with over the last couple of months, I think uh, it's one of the big names that we mm-hmm. we were looking out for, kind of excited by. You know, I mean, like whenever Nolan announces something, uh, yep, it it's always going to get like a, a lot of hype, right? And and for something to have taken as long as this has. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely garnered a fair bit of attention before its release. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. Let Let's jump right into it. Uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet is finally here, uh, and as the one and only proper summer blockbuster to receive a theatrical rollout this year. Um, it had uh, extra expectations on its shoulders, a world mm. of expectations more so yep. than usual. Um, so what is Tenet about? Uh, well, in short, it's, uh, it's a large-scale espionage spy blockbuster that concerns a bunch of um, secret agents fighting for the survival of the world after the emergence of a technology that reverses the entropy of objects and people, uh, therefore inverting time. Uh, if you want a more detailed explanation, I, I suggest you, know, you go watch the film because I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But um, I doubt that you'll get any information from the film. Either, <laughs> because, um, there is very little intellectual stimulation or, or just pure emotional joy uh, from watching a big blockbuster of this scale uh, just due to the fact that I think it was fully made and fully ed- edited uh, and overall an incomprehensible film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to agree with you here. Like, I think a lot of the time when you're going to dive into something with a, a sci-fi premise, uh, of this kind of complexity because it, it, I mean the premise is fairly complex right like mm-hmm. uh, you do need some sort of explication for the audience especially if you want to reach uh, you, you want to have a broad reach defense yep. you know uh, and Tenet had none of that right mm. and we'll go into the details a bit more without spoiling anything although to be fair there's nothing to be spoiled yeah. right yeah Um. so 
it's just been uh, honestly i i walked out of the cinema thinking it was it was a fair bit of mess you know mm. uh, one of the messiest uh time related stories that we've seen in a long while i think especially from Nolan, who has actually done very well with his very unique uh, high concept ideas you know yeah. uh, inception was a difficult concept to explain uh, interstellar and, and stuff like that but he's always done a really good job at kind of uh, dumbing not dumbing it down but breaking it down in a way that is digestible to to an audience yeah and i think like with with stuff like inception like you it, there was enough information for you to posit kind of your own ideas and interpretations and all of that, right? Like the symbolism mm-hmm. that's caught within that, the the premise of the show itself, the very concept of, of you know, diving into dreams and so on and so forth. Like all of that was still very well laid out mm. in a way that was acceptable, right? Yeah. Like you could stomach that and for audiences who were more inclined to go and dig a little deeper or read a little further... You know, um, there was opportunity for that. You know, there's opportunity for discussion. There was it was thought provoking in its own way because it provided enough for mm. audiences to um uh, to work on. Yeah. Tenant, on the other hand, mm. is is obscured right by the its own grandeur, right, or its own like delusion of grandeur, mm-hmm. uh, and that becomes a problem because like it's it's so esoteric in the way that it's presented, you know, like it's presenting you a puzzle that that isn't a puzzle, mm-hmm. right? Like there's nothing to it behind the spectacle of it, and that I think was very problematic for both yourself and 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 me. Oh, definitely, man. Um, I I think Christopher Nolan is indeed a, a master craftsman. Uh, but Tenet is the first film that kind of most nakedly uh, exposes his inadequacies as a storyteller. Yeah. Uh, similar to how I felt Westworld season 3 exposed his brother's exact same flaws, Jonathan mm, Nolan. Yes. Um, this movie is a big, dumb, secret agent blockbuster, um, as was Inception, to be honest, uh, that uses yet again a non-linear structural device, in this case reverse entropy, to, to trick you into thinking that it's a convoluted sci-fi narrative. It's cleverer than it really is. Yeah. And, and, and for all its visual spectacle, and it is spectacular, and for all its inventive set pieces, and it is very inventive, um, Tennant makes clear that Nolan hasn't the slightest inclination to tell human stories. There, there is no emotion or character arcs here, just great actors wasted on mumbo-jumbo, mumbly exposition, Mm -hmm. serving as plot devices in service of an admittedly very cool gimmick. Um, this is no. This is the most Christopher Nolan-ly film film I've ever seen. You know, for better <laughs> or for worse, he's uh, most self-indulgent. Um, yeah. At the very least, you know, other spy blockbusters like Mission Impossible or Jason Bourne or James Bond tries to give you characters to care about. You know, the the enormity of tenant skill and sequences is indeed a sight to behold. But there is little to hold your interest when its internal logic is uh, in the uh, is 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 not there. Yeah. And 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 there are no characters that you can emotionally invest in. You know, and and that's through no fault of the actors. All of them did a great job uh, with uh, Elizabeth Debicki in particular kind of single-handedly saving an, uh, a disastrous third act with uh, just, you know, uh, trying just trying her best to emote what little Nolan has given her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's so... It's all smoke and mirrors, isn't it? And quite literally mirrors in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, just like how... How did they green like this, you know? Yeah. Uh it, it's kind of what I'm wondering, right? Like I, I had high hopes for it just because like it's it's been a while. I mean, like based upon, you know, um Nolan's previous non linear work, I thought, okay, you know, I mean he's done a pretty good job so far. Mm-hmm. Uh more or less, you know. Let let's see 
what this whole new big thing is going to be about and I was sorely disappointed. Definitely. I mean, um, is is the spectacle entertaining? Yes, I would yeah. say the spectacle is entertaining. Yeah. Seeing the scale of it and the mind-boggling nature of its time inversion action is yeah. quite marvellous uh, in the way that it's set up. Like, I think it's logistically uh, an amazing film. Uh, uh, yeah. a, a well-crafted film. Uh, visually uh and i truly loved uh Ludwig Göransson's uh, muscular score oh, uh, which so which made me made me feel like i was at a, a like a hexen cloak concert at times uh but it, it's terrible sound mixing inaudible dialogue paper thin characters horrid pacing uh and nolan's pension for using complex nonlinear trickery as a substitute for human drama yeah. uh makes this i think a, a pass from me lah. what about you uh i i mean outside of of the score which was amazing right mm. like uh, we were we were talking about it a bit after after we walked out of the cinema yeah um uh, i i i think maybe like 30 minutes into it i was just like mm. you know what i'm just going to pretend that this is a very m- messy convoluted stylistic music video yeah yeah and and i'm just going to go with that um mm-hmm. it was just very annoying and and frustrating to see kind of like these the rules of, of of the show being thrown at you, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not followed, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Um, and like even then, like, um, Nolan's like usual attention to detail seemed to be lacking. Yep. Uh, you know, in all of the kind of like the ways in which like th- this particular world that he has created operates and all of that, like that, there's usually more to go on. You know, mm-hmm. like details that you tend to notice that make you make you feel good, right? It's like, oh yeah, I noticed I kind of noticed that and that kind of played out later on, but none mm-hmm. of that really kind of ties. Uh we we didn't get any of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Like you are just so befuddled by what is going on for large portions of the movie that mm-hmm. it takes any sort of enjoyment out of it. Uh it doesn't leave you, you know, in awe. It doesn't leave you, you know, with something to think about. It doesn't leave you like feeling anything just because um it's 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 a camera trick, right? Like over mm-hmm. and over again, mm-hmm. uh, and that can only be so entertaining for so long. Definitely, um, I'm giving this a four out of ten. Uh, what about you? Uh, I'm I'm gonna give it a five, just like a barely pass because the score is amazing. Okay. Uh, and I think that I I have a feeling someone out there is gonna try and recut the whole thing to make more sense. Uh, and uh, I mean, kudos to them if they do try that. Uh, it probably uh, needs to be longer, right? Just to to uh, yeah, time I mean, for characters to breathe and all of that. That's that's true. I I mean, like we're not gonna get a Snyder cut for this for sure, but yeah, you know, um, I at the same time we also have to acknowledge the fact that this isn't the full story. Yep. Uh, but to start off a franchise like this is mm. is kind of disastrous. I, I, I'm going to give it a 5 agree. just because okay. the score was really, really good and there is some spectacle to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to recommend that, you know, you spend... Oh, how long was the runtime? Two and a half hours? Two and a half hours, yeah. Yeah, so it's two and a half hours. If you have two and a half hours and you want to feel like completely and utterly, you know, confused, uh, yeah. sure, go ahead, right? Um, mm-hmm. But outside of that, I think it's it's not really worth catching and if anything, you should go on Spotify or your favorite streaming music streaming service and go and check out the score because the score is amazing. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Uh, next up, we'll be talking about uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, one of our favorite live-action superhero shows uh, wraps up uh, for its stellar run with its seven and final season. Uh, mm. So we're here to bid goodbye to the perennially under- underrated Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, uh, yeah. This... Uh, <laughs> 
climactic arc uh, finds the crew traveling back to various 20th century time periods as they attempt to stop a synthetic alien race called the Chronicoms from altering history uh, and erasing S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, this gives the show a really great excuse to have fun with its format, its yeah. costuming, its music, its presentation and all of that. You know, I can tell that they had a blast doing this, this <laughs> season. Uh, and and kind of depending on the time period, the show can choose to present itself like a black, or, black and white 50s noir or 70s action series or an 80s sci-fi and horror with the yeah. blood and the janky camera angles. And uh, that kind of uh, creative presentation is a highlight. Um, Story-wise, it's also a good way to capitalize on S.H.I.E.L.D.'s own inbuilt history and mythology like Hydra, The Lighthouse, Gideon Malik, uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, Agent Koenig, uh, The Inhumans <laughs> Afterlife, and more, you know. Uh, and, and they're having a ball with the M- established MCU history too, you know, like uh, pulling out threads like po- Project Insight from Winter Soldier and uh, Agent Daniel Sousa from uh, the Agent Carter series, uh, who becomes a surprisingly important member uh, to the team this season. Um, yeah. In fact, I actually thought like Susa was one of the best parts of season seven, and and he did a lot to freshen up a familiar team dynamic. Uh, yeah. As as a big fan of Agent Carter, I adored how Shield, uh, the Shield writer stayed true to his character's essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's this unflappable, intelligent, uh, and and easily the best spy in Shield because unlike the rest of this modern team, he's yeah. actually a trained espionage agent. Uh, <laughs> it's it's demonstrated over and over again just how much better he is at the nuances of spy work. Uh, the way he reacted or didn't react to when he learned that Gemma wasn't Peggy uh, is a prime example of this. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was so subtle but effective in conveying that this guy. Uh, maybe disabled and have no powers, but he's a damn good spy. Yeah. Uh, even his romance with uh, Daisy kind of makes sense if you kind of consider just it's just his transference from an unrequited crush on Peggy. Uh, so yeah, um, what what do you think about uh, the final season of Agents? Oh Show? man, uh, Agents for this final season was so fun, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it it felt a lot like I mean, outside of the whole time traveling shtick, um, it it was Agents meets Legends, right? Yep. Uh, both shows that we we love equally. I I think there were also some very very obvious kind of like parallels between uh some some of the episodes we got in Agents this season and some of the episodes we got in Legends of of seasons past. Yep. You know. Uh, and I think like reliving some of those, um, uh, the retelling of some of those moments in the Agents universe was very different and very f- uh fresh. You know, but no less funny. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little sad to say goodbye to the series, but uh, understandably so. I I think like uh, Marvel TV has uh, this is the last show, right? Basically, now that uh, they've from, wrapped up. Yeah. Um. Well, it's the last show for Marvel's uh, TV division, which has now yep. been folded into MCU in general. So there will be additional Marvel set TV shows, but yep. they won't be under this company, lah, under the studio. Yeah. So uh, this Agents of Shield season seven is kind of the last one, and then after that, we're gonna go move into. Uh, all the stuff that you're gonna get on Disney, right? Um, yep. Basically, so it was fun. It was it was a nice kind of very nice, satisfying goodbye to the characters. Mm-hmm. I especially like how they wrapped everything up. It didn't leave us hanging with anything, you know. Everybody's kind of like story arcs and character arcs were wrapped up very nicely by the end, mm-hmm. uh, and I I was very happy with that. And it's it's hard to do that. I I feel like in this day and age with so many like big franchises. Mm-hmm. Uh, failing to do so you know anywhere from your game of thrones and and all of that like we've seen so many of them fail at the end uh but for for agents to come and give us one more season that we didn't know we were gonna have right yep uh and for them to have told the stories that needed to be told Mm -hmm. while going through a fairly uh, not complicated but you know a, a fairly um complex uh 
uh, storyline as everything mm-hmm. as all our characters are going through. I, I feel like they did a great job with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, overall, I was just very content with the way that it ended, which is a far cry from a lot of other big franchises that we've been disappointed by. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, it's always nice to see Clark Gregg reprise his role as the ever-charming Phil Coulson, albeit an LMD version this time. Uh, it's a very exciting and emotional season, a solid way to cap off Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm which definitely... I think it's uh, Marvel's greatest ever series to date. Uh, I think it surpasses Daredevil and Punisher and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps on, on the slight downside, is perhaps not as consistently great as Peak S.H.I.E.L.D., which is season oh, 3, 4, 5. Yeah, you know? for sure. Uh, but it's still pretty darn good. Uh, nevertheless, the season did manage to deliver one of the series' um, all-time best episodes during the time loop episode in episode <laughs> 9. Yeah. Um, it's a rite of passage for every sci-fi show to do a time loop episode. And I'm honestly shocked that uh, this hasn't happened before now, that it took shoot this long to do uh, a time loop episode. And, and the one that they did was a banger. Um, yeah. It was clever. It was propulsive. It was heavy on emotion, especially with uh, Enoch's heartbreaking sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, his uh, existential and emotional crisis before his death. Uh, talking about mortality and loneliness yes, and the yeah. loved ones he, he left behind. It was so beautiful and so profoundly human. Uh, it was the one episode this season that made me uh, laugh and cry and, and excited in equal measure. It was peak shield. Mm. Uh, but overall, yeah, you're right. The time travel superhero team gimmick does at times feel like a more straight-laced uh, Legends of Tomorrow or yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, it's a very minor nitpick. Uh, another small nitpick is... Um, I didn't find the villains very compelling. Oh, yes. Um, especially uh, the new Nathaniel Malik, oh. the young John Garrett. Uh, just very weak source villains, weak actors. Uh, and I really can't begin to express how disappointed I was by the lack of fits this season. Uh, he did come in for the finale, uh, but I, it wasn't enough fits for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I think overall, in true Shield fashion, season seven came together in the end to yeah. deliver an action pack, emotionally satisfying. Uh, finale that tied all the pieces together. You know, mm-hmm. uh, what 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 do you think? Like, do you, do you agree that the villains were weak? And... Yeah, I I think the Nero Malik was was just, uh, I mean, like how caricature. This is mm. might be the most caricature villain that we've ever gotten from Shio. Yeah. Uh, from yeah. Agents. Um, you know, I mean, like with with like highlights like Grant Ward, right? Yep. Like multiple times over multiple characters. You know, mm-hmm. to have that kind of depth to it. Um, this was very disappointing. I, I feel like um, Daniel Malik was, wasn't a great villain. You know, mm-hmm. even like bringing in Korra for the flip as well, like that didn't feel very satisfying either. Yeah, Korra uh, wasn't a good actress. I, I don't know who she was, but I, I didn't click for me. Yeah, yeah, she didn't click either. And none of that felt weighty enough to, to give any sort of uh, uh, um, direness to their situation, you know. Like they're fighting time at the end of the day, sure. Yeah. Uh, but even like you know, uh, Sybil. Oh, I can't remember the actress's name. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like great actress didn't quite, didn't quite nail it for me either. Like it, the comic cons didn't feel as threatening as I felt that they they should have been. Uh, mm-hmm. and and because of that, like it just felt like they were kind of waddling their way through, because yeah. of the lack of antagonism from the villain camp. Mm. Um. Yeah, so that generally was my biggest complaint. Uh, yep. You know, it didn't allow us to get have any sort of weight to kind of like the final climatic uh, showdown between uh-huh. Daisy and, and Nathaniel Malik. I mean, yep. like, I, I think those were missed opportunities. But at the same time, I, I think from the, from the very first episode, you kind of understood that they... Uh, are going to one-track this, right? Like, they've, yeah. they've got some a story that they need to tell and they need to wrap up all of these things and, you know, there isn't time to go and 
kind of like get all the rest of the things done, which is a little sad. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Pretty yeah. Much. Um. I I think the the guy in particular, the the young guy who plays young John Garrett, um, I, Bill Paxton, uh, the late great Bill Paxton, rolling his in his grave over that caricature that he he tried to do. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh. But I, in the end, I still I still think that uh, she will pull it together at the end. Um. The, and it, it actually ended up being much uh, neater uh, time travel wise than Legends or Doctor Who is um, oh, yeah, because you sure. know they, they try to transverse the multiverse through the quantum realm again bringing aspects of other, the other MCU into it it was very clever yep. uh, it, it, of course it does have plot holes of course you know but like you're willing to overlook things you know when you're invested in character and, mm-hmm. and this is something that Agents of Shoot does that Tenet doesn't so yeah. that's why I'm willing to give this a, a pass um, yep. how would you rate the, the final season of Agents of Shoot? Ooh, uh, I really enjoyed it overall i'm going to give it a 7.5 uh yep, it's yep. not peak shield for sure mm-hmm. uh i but i mean like more than more than happy with the way that they, they decided to to end things same yeah i'm giving this a seven uh we, we both really like the season uh not peak shield but in, even not peak shield is still very good uh in fact, I um I actually think that season four of Agents of Shield, the the peakest of Shield, you know, with, with framework and Ghost Rider and all thing, it is the favorite thing in my for me like, my favorite MCU thing that's mm. ever happened, you know, like a hit of Inter Soldier and Iron Man and Infinity War and Endgame even, you know, yeah, uh, that was my favorite thing that MCU has ever produced. Absolutely. And, and, and Agents of Shield gave that to me, like, so I'm I'm really gonna miss the show. It's a great series. I mean, when it was serious, it was serious. When it was funny, it was funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really good live action show. Seven out of ten. Uh, any conclusion? thoughts before we move on uh, I'm, I'm gonna miss it I, I don't know if we are ever gonna get something of that ilk to fill that gap um, mm. from Disney I think uh, WandaVision might, might be really great yeah I mean fingers crossed uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that but we, we don't know yet you know uh, and, and we'll really have to kind of see how the, um, the TV shows do under the kind of like the new kind of supervision and, and all of that mm. um, so uh, I, I hope that something, you know, um, eventually fills the gap that Agents is going to leave. Mm. Uh, but I'm, I'm sorry to see the show go. I am. Yeah, uh, man. But at the same time, I totally understand that it's time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, moving on. Uh, we're talking about Infinity Train next. Did, did you watch the first two seasons? Because I remember reviewing it alone uh, in previous episodes. Yeah, so I caught up with the first two seasons in order to review season three as well. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. I thought you had been watching uh, uh, along the way as well. Uh, I had to... I was watching along for season two, right? The one with yeah. uh, MT. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I had to catch up season one and season two at the same time. And then mm. season three came out. But that wasn't too long ago, actually. I think it was just a couple of months back. Uh, season two was January this year. Yeah, so when yeah in January I I uh caught up with the whole of season one because I didn't I missed out on that when you were reviewing it earlier. Yep. 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 So uh, I'm all caught up now. Well, short of two episodes actually. Definitely, uh, you've seen the majority of season three, so we're we're yeah. gonna dive into uh, Infinity Tree book three slash season three. Uh, so the basic premise of this Cartoon Network show, which is now on HBO Max, uh, actually, uh, the, it's kind of an animated anthology uh, that is kind of deceptively simple. Uh, mm. Kids struggling with issues in their lives find themselves uh, whisked away by a magical 
endlessly sprawling locomotive where a series of uh, strangely themed train cars help them deal with deal with their uh, aforementioned interpersonal problems uh journeying with uh, an infinite universe's array of you know their goofball robots and and talking animal companions uh the kids relearn how to uh, open up uh, and stand up for the people they care about and, and accept that they can't control everything in their lives and uh in the end they pass an emotional milestone come to terms with their own inner demons and often uh you know through some actual actually highly dangerous monsters they finally get to go home yeah uh, and and those two seasons uh through the two seasons it's, it's been a very creative exceedingly uh emotional right uh mm-hmm. but season three uh explores what happens when someone doesn't want to or isn't able to perform that kind of growth that yep. personal growth you know what happens when to someone trapped in trapped in a reality designed to help them become a better person uh but they're so invested in their own misery uh that they find themselves incapable of change uh mm-hmm. that's the essential premise of it uh what what do you think about season 3 um i i okay i enjoy the fact that uh every season so far has been different but has led on from the previous season mm-hmm. right uh so uh for this season we follow um the apex the apex right so grace and simon who we met in season 2 mm-hmm. uh because they had a showdown with MT. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've enjoyed that. Like I think this sort of like tendential storylines uh with different kind of characters really help to flesh out the world in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Uh to give us like different perspectives. I am surprised at just how much character work you can squeeze into 10 short episodes. Right. Mm. And I felt that even more so for season three. Yep. Just because like our protagonists this time around, there are two of them and uh maybe just because of the sheer volume of the things that they kind of have to work through the issues that they have to work through individually and mm-hmm. together that like it feels fairly meaty for something that has a very short run time mm. um i do think that this season feels a lot darker mm. uh than definitely darker than season 1 and slightly darker than season 2 yeah. uh so uh, i i do feel like because our protagonists this time round are older um mm. than than both tulip and and mt Uh, yeah. I also think like this, the issues that they have to tackle have a slightly more mature tone to it mm-hmm. um, than we did get in the previous two seasons. Uh, and although the tone is more mature, the issues are pretty similar, right? Yeah. In terms of uh, thematically, at least, mm. um, you know. So uh, I overall, I did enjoy it. I'm looking forward to finishing up the series to just see where this goes. Yeah, uh, um yeah, um the season 3 it, it delves deeper as you mentioned into the origins and philosophy of the Apex uh, which is a group originally encountered back in the second season. Uh many of the kids who've rejected the train's overall message uh they're driven by two beliefs, you know, uh that the creatures uh encountered in the train's various cars uh, who they dubbed as nulls aren't real people and thus can be dealt with as one pleases. Uh, and secondly that the only goal is in in your life is to get your number up uh, i.e. the trains count down to personal epiphany lah tattooed on every passenger's arm you know they're trying to get their number up as high as possible rather than yep. down uh, often by breaking or killing any nulls that they get their hands on um, these like highly destructive lost boys and girls spend their days hanging out 
in a trash shopping mall, or at least a train car that looks like one, and, and launching raids on other casts under the guidance of their leaders, uh, who is, uh, you know, I can only describe him as a, a future proud boy and utter piece of shit, Simon, uh, and, and a charismatic manipulator uh, named Grace. Um, and, and you're right, this is one of the darkest and most challenging seasons of Infinity Train so far, yeah, uh, which is in, in line with Infinity Train's kind of imbi- uh, emotional scope. Like every season, it gets darker and darker. Uh, the train itself is just as cheerfully odd and bright as ever, filled with talking rocks and absurdist side gags. But Simon and Grace, who are separated from their tribe early on, are forced to journey back to the group's base through a number of fantastical cars. Yep. They are deeply jaded teens, uh, marked by their own unresolved issues, and by years spent in a world tailor-made to try to force them uh, to play by its benevolent but oppressive rules. Uh, rather, so rather than engage the train, they've learned that it's easier and faster to smash through obstacles, uh, regardless of the long-term harm that that approach might cause. Um, even when the requisite dose of cuteness does arrive in the, for, in the form of a quote-unquote six-year-old passenger, Hazel, and her gorilla companion slash musical instrument, Tuba, <laughs> um, neither Grace nor Simon in, initially view them as uh, with anything but a mixture of opportunity and mistrust. You know? yeah. um, it's to Infinity Train's credit that each of the seasons has gotten more complex in its storytelling and in the emotional issues they seek to address. Uh, the first book centered on a fairly straightforward story of a young girl learning a mixture of self-acceptance and self-responsibility, while the second Trojan host a more complex tale about identity inside a fairly uh, upfront uh, redemption plot. But book three is the most extreme and ambitious thing that Owen Dennis, the creator, uh, and his crew have ventured to date, asking audiences to spend a lot of time with protagonists who have done some very real harm to others. Something happens in episode five that is almost irredeemable. Uh, and, And in doing so, the show asks pointed questions about where those dangerous impulses come from and what can be done in their aftermath. How children who have been hurt and misguided in their formative years can grow up to be uh, so toxic, abusive, and destructive. You know? and, and through its layers of brightly colored allegorical cover, it speaks on topics about abuse, trauma, racism, grief, tribalism, mm-hmm. and more with a forthright emotionality that refuses to flinch from the heaviness of the things that it's asking its viewers to grapple with. Yep. It's a show about learning to see others as people. And, and when in a moment of climax, one character blindly demands of, a, of another, you know, why would I ever want to change when I'm always right? It feels like such a gut gut punch you know and mm-hmm. and all that to say you still get kate malgrew playing a, a purring condescendingly uh <laughs> sly cat you know to say nothing of the wonders of the debutant ball or the or the mysteries of the keho woka um the imagination that powers the series and every single car can have its own the, you know they have their own internal rules and themes you know yeah the, the whimsicalness is still going strong so it's it's striking a tricky balance uh, to keep uh, a show that is this silly while also tackling the feelings of its character in such perfect focus. Uh, I, I actually think that Infinity Train Season 3 is, is the best it's seen to date. Uh, yep. And prior to seeing Episode 9 and 10, I was going to rate it a 9 uh, because Infinity, one, Infinity Train Season 1 and 2, I rated a 9 out of 10. Mm-hmm. But upon seeing the finale, I'm, I'm upping my my uh, rating to a 10 out of 10. Actually. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm I'm kind of missing out. At the mm. moment. Okay, so uh, just based upon what I've seen, given that I haven't done the penultimate in, in the last uh, episode, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm going to give it a 7.5 mm-hmm. uh, for sure. I just think that uh, this Infinity Train has shaped up to be like one of the forerunners in terms of like pushing what animation is doing right now mm. in terms of storytelling, right? And we keep on going on and on again. We are having a, a renaissance right now of mm. just... Um, the kind of stories that are coming out from the animated world. 
Uh, and I think Infinity Train is definitely up there with the greats at the moment. And season three is a very good indication of why. Mm. Uh, you know, just to be able, like like you said, just to be able to kind of balance, right? This very silly world with very nuanced and very complex and complicated and messy characters mm-hmm. is hard to do, you know. And I, I hope they be, they'll be able to kind of keep them up in, into the seasons uh, from here on in. Yeah, um, sadly, actually, um, Infinity Train is kind of on the verge of cancellation at HBO Max, uh, just because you know it had doesn't it doesn't receive the ratings that uh that it should like, because yeah. you know it's such a great show and the ratings are down. Uh, its ratings has kept steady from Cartoon Network, but you know the HBO Max. If you don't know, like Warner Media is this big new corporate entity that's bought over everything HBO, Cartoon Network, etc. You know, so they they're in a cost cutting phase at the moment, and I'll talk about that with regards to DC Comics at the end. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but Infinity Train is one of those shows on the bubble, and I really hope they don't cancel it because I would love to see more of the world like that they're building. Yeah, I, I do feel, however, that like something like Infinity Train could possibly do well on their own if they find the right kind of platform or backing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did feel very strange, um, you know, hearing about that they're going to move it to HBO Max because, like, why is it playing on HBO Max? Like, who's the demographic on HBO Max that you're going to reach out to? Whereas yep. it makes total sense on Cartoon Network, right? Yeah. Um, so I I'm hoping that they don't get cancelled, and I'm hoping that even if HBO Max drops them, that you know, it's it's worth um backing them. You they know, can go what, back to Cartoon Network right, at least. Yeah, I hope so. I really, really yeah. hope so because it makes so much more sense there. Yep. I mean, HBO Max is hidden behind a paywall, which is why the, the ratings are kind of dropped this this year. So, you know, what you're going to do. Uh, and plus, you know, it's it's actually HBO Max is actually not available in many countries. Mm-hmm. So that's another issue. Uh, anyways, yeah, uh, we loved Infinity Train. Hope you catch it as well. Uh, next up, we're moving on to uh, The Umbrella Academy Season 2. Uh, as many of you may know, uh, Gerard Way's weird and wonderful Umbrella Academy comic was a direct homage to Grand Morrison's Doom Patrol. Uh, and if you listen to my first review, uh, my review of the first season, you know that I wasn't as enthralled with the mm. show as most were. It was a very hype, very buzzy show. Yeah. Uh, at, at least according to my social media, la, it seems like all my friends loved it. Uh, I liked it, but you know, didn't love it, lah. Uh, but while it was indeed uh, inventive and eccentric and imaginative, its its burst of brilliance were dragged down by spotty storytelling, murky character work, and a hesitation to lean full on into the absurdities of the Umbrella Academy. Uh, yep. So in short, it felt like the Coke Zero basic bitch version of the Doom Patrol show, <laughs> which I'll talk about later. Uh, but boy, I, th- I think it became blazingly clear from the start of season two uh, that any issues with the first season have kind of been addressed and, and improved. Uh, yep. and, and it's nice to see that the, the Umbrella Academy creative team kind of listen to the critiques, like really listen to the critiques mm-hmm. and, and strive to make a second season with a tighter story, cleaner execution, stronger performances, and better world building. You know? So I, I was impressed that they, they addressed the problem. It's not completely fixed, but they're yeah. on their way to fixing it at least. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what do you think about season two? I definitely enjoyed season two a lot more. It felt like a completely different show. Yeah. Uh, like, just with really basic things like the pacing, right? Like, fixing the pacing, that's such a huge deal. I mm. do feel like the character work, while a lot better there around, still could use a bit more, right? Mm. Because we are so focused on just, like, this this very small cast. Well, kind of small cast uh, on some of, of actors. Mm. Uh, and I feel like... Um, just not being afraid to step out on a limb mm-hmm. made it so much more enjoyable, right? Yeah. Uh, and that that to me was like the bulk of my my 
uh, how entertained I was by season two as compared to season one. I very honestly, just going on how season one was, I wanted to give it a miss, uh, really yep. honestly. But I- I'm glad I didn't because um, there there are shows like this one who have mm-hmm. been redeemed from better second seasons, even agents, right, for that matter. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, right. So I'm I'm glad I gave it a chance. Uh, on the whole, I do feel that it was a lot tighter. I do yeah. feel that um, there was just a lot more present than, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of kind of like shuffling about that they had in the first season as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping they keep this pace up because like it's, it's promising now, you know, and I think mm-hmm. they've managed in season two to kind of differentiate themselves from Doom Patrol or rather like Doom Patrol has, has gone from kind of strength to strength. And mm. now Umbrella Academy knows like their what path they they have to throw to not you know get that kind of comparison again. Yeah, I mean, I think they've realized that it's okay to lead into the the weirder aspects of the show. You know, it doesn't have to be serious prestige drama all the time. Yeah. Uh, and everyone on the cast gets uh, good arcs this season. Uh, mm. I think the highlight is is Allison and her arc. Uh, where she confronts what it means to be black in Dallas in the early 60s. Yep. Uh, Alison landing alone in the world where, where the first establishment she walks into uh, for help is a whites-only diner. Uh, it's kind of an ominous portent of uh, what awaits her. Uh, she eventually grows to become a black civil rights organizer in the South, uh, providing a path for Alison to explore what it means to be a hero and how heroism doesn't require superpowers. Yeah. Uh, the depiction of the consequences and bravery it takes to be a black activist in the 60s is well done, you know. And, and where I was mildly... Uh, entertained by season one uh now i feel like umbrella academy is is uh crackling with energy and, mm. and it made me fully invested right from the beginning with uh, an incredible action sequence amazing action <laughs> sequence blew my mind you know? um and, and fans returning for season two will be rewarded with a world expanded in a variety of mind-blowing ways character expo- explorations are richer and more thoughtful uh, the story is fast and, and, and thrilling and emotional we're treated into deeper dives into the more surreal aspects of the world like ben's ghost existence or or the inner workings of the timeline preservation agency known as the commission uh those dives pet alongside more grounded looks at, at how these uh, once disparate Superpowered siblings come together to use their powers to help others, uh, other than themselves, makes uh, Umbrella Academy feel like an entirely new show, as you mentioned. Uh, mm-hmm. And it feels like the the show that we've kind of deserved all along. You know, this is the show that it should have been in season one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll see. I hope they 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 continue to do this. Uh, I'm I'm so glad that they. It really does feel like they they tried to address like point for point all the criticisms that they had in season one, and I I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, because like l- look at where it's come. You know? Yeah. Um. How would you rate season two? Uh, I'm gonna give it a six point five out of ten for me. I do feel like there are still certain things that they could work on for sure. Mm, yeah. Um, I I think in terms of the there's something that isn't quite complete about the world building. I understand that they are trying to pace it out and all of that. And I also understand that, you know, based upon like the original comic, there isn't much to go by mm. um, for that matter. So uh, it, I do feel like it needs to be a bit more robust, but I'm happier with uh, just the pacing and much more meaty character work uh, this time around. Yeah, uh, it also ends on a really great cliffhanger, uh, yep. which I won't spoil, but uh, the cliffhanger at the end, uh, it takes, uh, the comics hasn't dived into that yet. Yep. Uh, Umbrella Academy comics has been on hiatus, so uh, whatever story they come out with season 3 will be their own. So 
that would be interesting to see. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you don't know, season two is actually based on a volume two of Umbrella Academy called Dallas, uh, where they travel back to 1960s uh, Dallas uh, and get involved in the JFK assassination and trying to stop uh, or at least stop something that they created due to, due to their tra- time travel, uh, yeah. nuclear annihilation because of the Cold War. Uh, it's an interesting story uh, and definitely a treat. Uh, I give it a 7 out of 10, whereas uh, season 1 was a 5.5 out of me. So, uh, improvement for both of us. Yep. Yep. Uh, next up, we will be talking about the first part of the Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy. Uh, it's called Siege. Um, the war between the Autobots and the Decepticons at this point is legendary. Uh, and over the years, fans have seen it from many different angles. And, and despite the previous iterations, uh, Netflix, Rooster Thief, and Hasbro, uh, have found a way to showcase and explore this familiar war with a more mature flair yeah. in, in Siege, the, the first chapter of the of the trilogy. Um, Siege captures your attention with, uh, I think, conflicted characters and surprising twists. And, and while I'm not a fan of Rooster Thief's animation style, yeah. which can feel stilted or sluggish at times, uh, which it kind of does detract from the series, so I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I do enjoy the more mature take on the character building because I've never seen the Autobots and Decepticons <laughs> as, as, as actual people before, yeah, you know? yeah. and, and which is what the show does well. Uh, what, what, what do you think about it? Oh, man. Um, uh, okay, I'm not a big fan of Rooster Teeth's animation. I n- I've never been, uh, even with uh, uh, our, our WBY as well, right? Like, which is what yep. you're kind of well-known for. The biggest um, one yeah. I'll be very honest, it threw me off, right? Yeah. Uh, the first two episodes really, really threw me off. I found it very difficult to get immersed into it. Mm. Um, just because the animation for what, right? Like the sluggishness of the animation, and and I I think in comparison to all the other um, uh, Transformers stuff that we've gotten over the years, whether it's the Michael Bay one or a slew of like animated stuff that we've gotten um, in 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 the last couple of years, uh, it really was a bit uh, unnerving, you know, because mm. you always expect it to be a bit more snappy, to be a bit more fast-paced, you know, even frantic sometimes, I think. Uh, And to have the animation slow it down and then to have the character dialogue and, like, just scenery chewing uh, come in as well at the same time was really hard for me for the first two episodes. Uh, I think what really turned it around for me was um, while I was... I just had it on and after a while, I I kind of just lost interest in, in what was going on on screen. So... I was busying myself with with doing something and um, listening to the dialogue on its own, however, mm. really changed that for me. I think the voice acting work here is really, really very good. There is a gravitas to the main characters. I think um, whoever's voicing Optimus Prime and, and Megatron, like yeah. so much great like subtlety in their voice that you can only really kind of focus on uh, if you're not being distracted by, by the animation, I feel. Right. Right, yeah. uh, and that kind of like turned it around for me. So I did end up finishing. I did end up enjoying it just because mm. it is so vastly different from anything that we've gotten out of the Transformers franchise, right? Like Agreed, yeah. um, just kind of preponderance on, on, on you know, um, what, what is war and who is us and, and mm. the fact that, you know, both camps are rallying to the same cry but with very kind of different intentions and means of going about it yeah. uh, and just very valid questions mm-hmm. uh philosophically that yeah, and, uh, politically, too, and yeah. politically as well that yeah. i would never would have dreamed that would come from a transformers such a silly franchise yeah such know. a silly franchise right yeah. like to flesh it out to this degree is insane to me 
Yeah. Um, and it is absurd in at the same time, you know. Uh, I I it it has become a treatise on 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 war and and identity yeah. and you know uh, otherness. Um, mm-hmm. and, and class conflict that it, it's mind-blowing how deep they went in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I do feel that it leaned a bit too much in that direction. Like, at the end of the day, it is supposed to be an action type mm. thing. Uh, I don't think we got nearly enough of that. Mm. Uh, and and again, like, Rooster Teeth's animation really doesn't feel very good uh, when it comes yep. to the combat scenes, you know? Like, yeah. I, I feel like when you're talking about something like war, and with a universe like the Transformers universe, like you need to be able to kind of show that kind of skill mm-hmm. uh, as well, which I feel was sorely lacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the battles felt very small and very inconsequential to the monologuing of the bigger of the main characters, right? Yep. Uh, and that to me, like it was a little disjointed, um, more than I would have liked it to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think. Yes, uh, I think fans might be surprised uh, with the added depth that these characters, uh, you know, there's a kind of a harder itch to the world overall. Uh, the stakes feel high because you aren't sure who will make it and who won't, and that's a level of unpredictability that previous iterations uh, haven't always had. Yeah. Um, the series' decision to kind of focus in on a handful of Transformers allows them to get the most of them, especially with characters like Jetfire, Wheeljack, Mirage, and uh, a particular Decepticon that I won't spoil <laughs> because he is at, uh, at the center of a, of a rewarding character arc. Yeah. Um, and, and Siege t- kind of takes a classic premise and brings it to life in a very different way, uh, all while setting the stage for... Uh, I've, I'm assuming to, uh, it's going to be an epic story yet to come. Uh, yeah. This is kind of the, the first act of the story, like it's part of a trilogy, you know. Uh, yeah, I wasn't impressed with it visually, especially when I couldn't tell who was who during battle sequences and sluggish and and all of that. Uh, but I did appreciate seeing fa- my fan favorite characters being uh, given layers of depth uh, mm. in, in what felt like an uh, unpre- unpre- unpredictable manner. Uh, so yeah, uh, because of that, I liked the show more than I disliked it. Uh, yeah. And for fans who are unfamiliar with uh, with Transformers, this is actually a good opportunity to get to know these characters on the ground floor. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm rating this a, a six out of ten. Yeah, it's a six out of ten for me as well. I think like if 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 you're just generally a fan and and you're willing to close certain eyes about things, the world building that takes place in in this series is quite expansive. I think more than we've ever gotten uh, when we're talking about like Cybertron and what the systems in place were and all of that. Like it doesn't yep. answer all your questions but it's a lot more than we've gotten before. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and I, I think that uh, that will, will tickle uh, the more serious fans and give you something to chew about, right? Like it, it has l- so much more gravitas mm. uh, than any other Transformer thing that we've ever gotten. Ever, yeah, yeah uh, definitely. Uh, next on, uh, we are actually moving to another animated show. It's a very animation-heavy uh, episode this uh, this month. Uh, we're talking about Tales of Arcadia Wizards. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, fantastic Tales of Arcadia trilogy continues after three seasons of Troll Hunters and two seasons of Tree Below uh, with a new series entitled Wizards. Uh, now, if you're new to the whole Tales of Arcadia world, then uh, for the love of God, do not jump in with Wizards. Um, most of the story is based on at least a passing understanding of what came before yeah. uh, with, with a lot of ties to Troll Hunters and some minor connections to Tree Below. Uh, now with that disclaimer out of the way, uh, Wizard 
follows uh, a wizard in training named Duxi uh, and the heroes of Arcadia, both uh, humans, magical creatures, and aliens alike, uh, as they embark on a time-bending magical adventure back to old Camelot. Uh, without giving any spoilers, I can say that we've met Duxi uh, before in previous shows. Uh, yeah. He's a barista in modern-day Arcadia, but he's been an apprentice of Merlin uh, since the Middle Ages, uh, and Duxi's sidekick is a flying cat named Archie, voiced by Alfred Molina. Uh, Duxi is still trying to prove himself to the immortal wizard as our heroes ascend back to the 12th century, Camelot, uh, where they become embroiled in a humans versus magical creatures war, while trying not to screw up the timeline. There's a lot of go- a lot of that going on uh, in this episode. Uh, <laughs> safe to say that uh, almost all the characters from Troll Hunters are reunited in the past, including an injured Jim, a powerful Claire, Toby, uh, who's battled along, uh, and they all battle alongside and occasionally against characters we've met from previous entries in yep. the franchise, you know, yep. including Merlin, Morgana, and Gunmar. Uh, part of the fun of Wizards is re- reconnecting with uh, old friends. Uh, the last Troll Hunters episode aired in 2018, so it's been a while. And, and characters that you thought had, you had lost uh, while seeing the origins of some characters that you never got to see, you know, since their history was so back in the, so far back in the past. Yeah. Um, Arcs, uh, Arc, Arc <laughs> is uh, a, a highlight, and, and it's also interesting to see that perhaps uh, Morgana was a, a misunderstood magical freedom fighter that... Yeah. Uh, King Arthur's, uh, that was kind of uh, fighting against King Arthur's uh, bigotry against uh, magical creatures, you know. Maybe maybe his bigotry bears a bigger brunt of the blame for instigating the war than we thought. Yep. Um, the new setting and the emphasis on past characters allows us a new insight into the creation of the amulet that grants the powers of the troll hunter and we get to see a, a new young female troll take on the title of the troll hunter, at least in the past. And the it's first a, troll it's hunter, a, yeah. If, yeah, uh, it's voiced by Stephanie Beatrice, uh, so that's great too. You know, um, and I think plus Del Toro and collaborators have added uh, some new elements to the mix to keep everything fresh. There's a race of evil forest-dwelling sorceresses uh, that serve as a powerful new enemy that have surprising connections of characters. And, and when the action shifts back to modern-day Arcadia for the last few episodes, uh, uh, catching up with at least one of our three below favorites, uh, even more secrets are revealed. It's a, it's a fun show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know... It's we've always liked the show, but I, I do have some complaints about this season. Uh, yeah. But before I get into that, you know, what do you think about uh, Wizards? Uh, I was looking forward to this, right? Like I think they definitely delivered for Troll Hunter and for Tree Below, you mm. know, uh, with some fairly fairly good like storylines and story arcs that kind of mesh together really well uh, in hindsight. Um, so I was curious to see how Wizards would go. Um, I think I didn't necessarily enjoy the whole time travel thing again. Mm. Um, maybe it's just because of like, you know, a fair bit of time fatigue. traveling. Yeah, it's a fatigue kind of thing uh, yeah. as well. I, I do like seeing the origins of, of, of some of the characters that we've seen before. I think especially Morgana's art was eye-opening, right? Mm. Like she's the, kind of like a two-bit villain uh, in, in uh, prior to see, this. Season two of Troll Hunters. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, so to, to be able to see like the origin of that and you uh, is a much more sympathetic look at the character, right? A lot more human. Uh, and and that surprised me. Um and I wanted uh as much as I enjoyed those bits, uh overall Wizards felt a tad underwhelming in comparison to everything else that we've gotten. Yep. Uh and I'm not really sure if it's about just like Duxie isn't a great uh protagonist. Um, you know, uh, I yeah. don't think he was as compelling as as Jim, as, as Jim or you know even the royal twins. Like yep. there wasn't really much out of him. Like I feel a lot of the time, like Claire do- tend to, tended to dominate um, 
um, the the series when she was present. You know, mm. her arc was much stronger, I think, as a budding kind of wizard-esque uh, player herself yeah. uh, as opposed to anybody else. And of course, like, whenever Jim is around, like, you know that it's going to focus around Jim, right? Like, at the end of the day, the MacGuffin is Jim. Yeah. Uh, and... That. Jim is the Captain America of the story. He he's the guy, lah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel like it did a bit of a disservice to 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 everybody else, right? Um, yeah. Framing it in that in that way. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Merlin being as smug as ever was still, <laughs> you know, and and to to the team's detriment, I think several times. Um, so like in terms of revisiting characters and you know kind of reuniting them, sure, all of that was fun. I think some of the combat sequences were pretty fantastic. I yeah, I think the do. animation has uh, dramatically improved mm. uh, since the early days of Troll Hunters because yeah. I, I assume technology has gone further. Yeah, it felt a lot more dynamic. <clears throat> a lot yeah. of fight scenes were very dynamic. They were very, very flashy. Mm. And and I definitely enjoyed all of that. Um, but I just think the main through line for this this season uh, of Wizards wasn't quite strong enough for my liking. Yes, yeah. Uh, same. Um uh, because unlike other Troll Hunters or Three Below uh, seasons, uh, there's only 10 episodes of Wizards, yep. which occasionally gives it a, a very super condensed, very hurried feeling. Uh, some of the stories and arcs and emotional beats aren't given the room to breathe, uh, yep. and it, they can feel rushed, which is a flaw. Uh, and the tie-ins to Three Below feel random and perfunctory. Mm-hmm. Um, and at first, Wizards was promised as the ultimate culmination of the Tales of Arcadia trilogy. So when we, at the end, were left with a cliffhanger and resolved arcs and lingering questions yeah i was even more disappointed uh thankfully though um it turns out netflix has announced that the proper conclusion to tales of arcadia will come in the form of a full-length movie coming out next year mm-hmm. called rise of the titans uh the creators are saying that it will be the avengers endgame of tales of arcadia <laughs> and, I, and i'm pretty psyched about that bringing back every character from every show um, nevertheless, the lack of resolution in Wizards and its hurried pace makes it, I feel, the weakest entry of the Arcadia franchise. Yeah. But it's, th- it's still pretty good. Yeah, it's still pretty good. Uh, okay, I think my issue with it is that Wizards feels derivative, mm-hmm. right? Um, like, with Troll Hunter, we got a proper kind of story, right? Like, centered around Jim and his adventures. With Tribulo, with the Royal Twins, we got a proper story that interfaced with, with the Troll Hunter world, but not entirely. I yep. think like with wizards being tied so closely to the troll hunter mythology, mm. uh, it didn't have room, perhaps you know, to kind of like flesh out some arc of, on its own. Mm. Um, so I I don't know. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll see what they do with the movie. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but still, in comparison to everything else that we've seen so far, mm. yeah, um, I'm rating it a six out of ten. Yeah, same here, six for me. Alright, next up, we're moving on to a little segment I like to call Quick Hits, where I quickly review some of the various films and and TV shows that my co-host Isa probably hasn't seen, and and some he has, so she can chime in on later. Uh, The first thing I like to talk about is an indie film called She Dies Tomorrow. Uh It is written and directed by Amy Simetz. Uh, She Dies Tomorrow is probably the most singular an original film I've seen in 2020 so far. Oh, uh, wow. Things might change because there's a Charlie Kaufman movie coming out next week. <laughs> uh, but for now, this is the most original film I've seen. Um, the film envisions a contagious mental illness where the afflicted believe that they will die by morning. Uh, so we start off with a woman named Amy on the verge of a nervous breakdown. She thinks she's going to die tomorrow. Amy can't prove it, but she's insistent. And when her friend, uh, her friend Jane arrives, uh, an intoxicated Amy strives to make the non-believer understand. And when she does, now Jane is also convinced that she'll die tomorrow. 
Jane flees to her brother's Jason's house where he's throwing a birthday party for his wife. Now they also believe that they'll die tomorrow and so on and so forth like, as the infection spreads. Um, Simon's screenplay avoids the obvious tropes of the apocalyptic thriller, never once pausing for exposition or the standard survival monologue to explain the threat at hand. Mm-hmm. Instead, the ideological contagion quietly spreads as the various souls begin to fear for their own mortality. What begins as a psychodrama about one woman spreads into a dizzying narrative as we follow other infected people, uh, people infected with the malady, uh, through their bouts of unleashed passions, paranoia, mania, and soul searching. So it follows one character, spins off to another character, spins off to another character, and so on and so forth. Uh, so She Dies Tomorrow kind of combines this uh, existential devastation with a gruesome body horror and Lynchian, David Lynchian surrealism to paint disparate portraits of vulnerable people grappling with mortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, she Dies Tomorrow takes that inane advice uh, that uh, you know, for you to live like there's no tomorrow, uh, very literally, uh, <laughs> and then presents us with a series of characters who are unprepared uh, for such a scenario. Uh, some are no longer unburdened by social constructs. Uh, some are unsure. Some are frightened. Uh, some take the opportunity to finally do what they want. Uh, so she dies tomorrow. Ultimately, becomes less of a linear survival story, uh, and more of a scattershot uh, look at mental disarray. Uh, Simon's collects the pieces into a mesmerizing audiovisual tapestry that includes a jittery electronic score by the Mondo Boys uh, and a dizzying neon red and blue stroboscopic lighting where mm-hmm. when, whenever the characters become unhinged. Uh, the performances are, are universally terrific, ensuring that we're invested in each branch of the diverging story uh, and that we emotionally understand the plight of each character. Uh, the film is bizarre and fantastical, but there's also an emotionally precise feeling, uh, despite the fact that it feels like a hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic trip. Uh, she Dies Tomorrow ponders uh, self-fulfillment with uh, agency uh, and has a riveting execution with uh, fearless uh, creativity. Uh, this film was made pre-COVID. Uh, uh, it's released right now kind of co- coincidentally taps into the world's uh, pandemic anxieties, making it even more relevant. So uh, it's an 8 out of 10 for me. Wow. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, so this is highly recommended. Next up, uh, we'll be talking about Doom Patrol. Uh, the first season of Doom Patrol was that rare season of television that felt like no idea in the writer's room was strange enough to get turned down. <laughs> uh, and, and I mean that as a compliment. Uh, it was so wild that even uh, for that season, that Legends of Tomorrow felt tame by comparison. Uh, if only because Legends' abundance of creativity is somewhat hampered by its PG-13 uh, rating, whereas uh, Doom Patrol was free to go as explicit and as adult as adult as it wanted. Uh, so the biggest worry going into season two is whether the show could capture that feeling of wild abandon with uh, such razor-sharp energy uh, a second time. Uh, after all, how can you keep you, you know, heading upwards when you started out with an interdimensional farting goat, uh, introduced a sentient street who comes out as a gender, gender queer, uh, pivoted into a swarm of bloodthirsty butts, and ended up with a kaiju-sized rat and cockroach uh, making out? Um, fear not, though, uh, Doom Patrol remains as effortlessly oddball in its uh, sophomore season, mm-hmm. but also improves itself by leaning harder into the tragedy uh, of it all at the same time. It's a show filled with outcasts who define themselves by the very things that make them outcasts in the first place. Uh, and because of his R21 rating, uh, it can definitely delve into the character's pain and tragedy a lot more than Legends can. Like, and, yeah. and gags are free to be as explicit or sexual or violent as they want. Uh, so yeah, um, everyone is uh, still pissed off at Niles and right. <laughs> so uh, the revelation that the Mad Doctor was the cause behind every team member's deformity uh, has shattered the trust. Uh, so that is kind of the, the plot of the second season. Uh-huh. Uh, 
But the second season mostly focuses on Niles' daughter, uh, Dorothy. Uh, Dorothy, who was freed during last season's finale, has been kept prisoner for over a century, mostly because the perpetual 11-year-old girl is too Omega level to be left out in the world. Uh, and at first, it seems that only Niles can control her. Uh, meanwhile, each of our main characters has a personal raging issue inside them with the ensemble cast remaining uh, as across the board incredible as ever uh, cliff is a robot powered by mostly unchecked rage uh, that's exacerbated by the fact that his daughter has no idea he's alive uh, there's a kind of mutiny happening in the underground of jane as each of her 64 personalities make a case to become the primary personality mm-hmm. uh, both cyborg and rita far feel like they're battling for their own bodies while larry trainer struggles to make peace with an abandoned family who has aged past him uh, if Doom Patrol Season 2 had, does have a flaw, is that there isn't much of a main story to focus on. Okay. The season is uh, vaguely tied together by their drive to, to save Niles' daughter and Niles himself uh, because of an ominous entity inside of Dorothy that threatens to destroy the world. Uh, and while the dilemma to either protect or destroy this 11-year-old girl is compelling, uh, the entity inside her is, 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 isn't nearly as uh, entertaining as Alan Tudyk's Mr. Nobody. Uh, the individual arcs are good, but they kind of don't come together. Like, they're like a series of short stories, uh, which kind of leads to an unsatisfying finale, I feel. Uh, nevertheless, the show is still very inventive, uh, laugh, laugh out loud funny, very emotional, uh, and it dives deep into the hits of DC's most fucked up characters. Uh, the result is a character study that still manages to make time for stuff like a, a disco party between the fabric of time and the arrival of something called the Sex Men, which are a Ghostbusters group that hunts down uh, sex demons uh, <laughs> that is unle- unleashed when Flex, Man- Flex Mantello uh, uses his magical muscles uh, to cause Rita to orgasm uncontrollably. Uh, that is that kind of show. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a batshit banana show, uh, and I love it. And that's kind of the beauty of Doom Patrol, its ability to transition from pure ridiculousness to relatable heartbreak so quickly uh, that you don't even notice that you're going from laughing to tearing up. This was a solid second season, but a couple of steps down from season one, so it's a, a 7 out of 10, just because of the unsatisfying finale and uh, the, the kind of messy nature of it. Lah. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, next up, I'm going to be talking about a film called Sputnik. It's a Russian independent film. Uh, it's the first feature from Egor Abramenko. Uh, it takes a B-movie conceit and injects it with a sizable budget and delivers a, a visceral extra- extraterrestrial alien invasion story that is very attuned to the spirit of the alien movies, uh, that it feels as if it's part of Ridley Scott's universe. Um, the story itself takes place in the early 1980s and revolves around a cosmonaut who survives a mysterious accident and returns to Earth with a being inside of him, uh, kind of like Venom. Uh, the creature leaves its host, at, uh, host body at night to feed before retreating, leaving the Russian researchers baffled and uncertain uh, whether to fear this new arrival or harness it as a weapon. It's kind of a fun creature feature, a midnight movie kind of experience that builds to a gory showdown while raising familiar questions about whether governmental forces might be even worse than a monster it's hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, the real highlight of Sputnik, though, centers on the effort of a conflicted young doctor played by Oksana uh, Akinsha, who, uh, as she works to contain the alien threat, she is fantastic because she feels exactly like Ellen Ripley parachuting into Soviet-era Russia. Uh, I was so down for it. Um, but as great of, of a alien, ho- alien homage as it is, I do have to acknowledge that it's a straight rip-off. Uh, and you can see all the beats coming. Uh, and because of that, it's a 6 out of 10, oh. despite the fact that it's entertaining. But it is Russian alien, okay. pretty much. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, let's talk about uh, to give myself a break, uh, I know that uh, Isa has, has watched this, so maybe Isa, you can give a, uh, a review for Lucifer season five, <laughs> part one. 
Okay, so Lucifer to this day remains one of my guilty pleasures. Yeah, such a guilty pleasure. It's me, such yeah. a guilty pleasure, right? And like uh, the my main conceit at the beginning when they announced Lucifer is that it was totally not what we wanted it to be. Mm. Uh, which was we wanted an adaptation of Lucifer from from uh, the Sandman universe. From the Sandman universe, right? Yep. So to go to get what we got eventually, which is just this like in, insane like criminal procedure thing where the devil helps you out, and just mm. like tons of like hot people all over the place. Yeah. Uh, Lucifer has kind of grown into its own, uh, yeah. its own skin, right, and unabashedly so. And mm. season five is just kind of more of the same, right? Like, mm. um, the premise itself allows for a, a level of of like strange absurdity that, um, is is kind of is kind of, it's it's a weird thing to enjoy, but it works, mm. right? Yeah. Just because I think like it has garnered a fair bit of goodwill among its fans. Mm. Um, so for season five again, um, we we start off with uh, Lucifer now back uh, in uh, hell. now back in hell, right? Yeah. Uh, and you know just kind of like the different life that he's been living there, and you know people back in LA and uh, back on Earth are kind of coping with his loss, especially um, Detective Decker and and her little uh, crummy bunch uh, mm. of humans back on Earth. You know, mm. Amenadiel is is coping with uh, finding out news that he's now a father, uh, and uh, trying to work those things out as well. Uh, so broadly, season five can be categorized into kind of two um, two arcs, I guess, right? Yep. Yeah, pretty yep. much two arcs. So the first half of the series, we uh, we have a new antagonist in the form of... Uh, is that a spoiler? Um, it, it's, it happens early, though, so it I happens, guess you can go It happens here. fairly early. So basically, someone pretends to be Lucifer while he is away mm-hmm. in hell, and it turns out to be his twin brother, Michael. Right, yeah. and he's here to cause all sorts of shenanigans and kind of like pull Lucifer out of hell, right? Just because uh, he feels like um, the it, Lucifer's accolades are undeserved, which is a strange premise to kind of work off of. Um, right. But that sets up basically all the points of conflict, more or less, for the rest of the season. Mm. Um, the introduction of this doppelganger into into the lives of everybody else uh, and before he's discovered um, brings up a lot of issues that have been latent uh, in the series for the characters for a long time because Michael's power uh, is to draw out the fears of people as opposed yep. to the desires uh, that Lucifer has. And yeah. uh, that, that actually allows for a fair bit of character development. That's mm-hmm. pretty surprising. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in particular... Uh, Maze's um, story arc across this season was pretty fantastic. Mm. Uh, I feel that um, I, I wish that they had concluded that this season, but it's a fairly big arc, uh, yep. so it doesn't any it doesn't see much resolution here. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with kind of like the subplot with Amanadio and 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 uh, Charlie, the new baby who you know is is supposedly special, mm-hmm. and all of that. So like all the fears that come with parenthood. And, and being good enough and, and, you know, wanting the best for your child is also kind of explored here. Um, you know, uh, Dan, uh, Detective Dan is still dealing with the loss of Charlotte and is mm. on kind of like a self-help binge that has some hilarious uh, outcomes to that. Yeah. So all in all, I think, like, um, it, was, uh, it was pretty enjoyable overall. I do enjoyable. feel yeah. that um, the introduction of Michael felt more problematic than it needed to be. Like, mm. it's not... He's not a great antagonist. 
mm. by any measure. But then again, we've never really gotten great antagonists in, in, in the Lucifer, Lucifer yeah. series. Yeah. Um, so for him to play foil in a kind of like half-hearted manner, just uh, didn't quite gel for me, you know. Mm. Uh, I do think that there was a lot of missed opportunities this season, yep. is my main complaint. I think that yeah. the whole idea of drawing out people's fears was so promising at the beginning, but mm. eventually the way that they dealt with those things felt so, so underworld, uh, so disappointing, right? Because mm. like there could have been so much good work that they could have done there. Yep. Uh, ultimately, however, I think like you just go through another season of Lucifer. As enjoyable as it is, it is incredibly frustrating as well, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody just keeps lapsing back into their old habits. It's it's a hell loop on its own. And yeah. as entertaining as it is, uh, we get dragged back into another one yeah. uh, to go uh, into another cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, um, character, act, character arcs just uh, feel like they're running in place. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's kind of sad. Uh, I, yeah. I think... Uh, like again, you know, we have no that this we're not pretending that you know Lucifer is an amazing series all mm. around. I, I just feel that it couldn't be so much more than what we are currently getting. Agreed. Uh how would you rate uh season five? Uh season five was kind of middling for me. I, I don't think it was as um as exciting, I think. Uh yeah. as maybe season season three, I think was kind of peak for me. Correct. Uh, yes. For that, so yeah. I'm gonna give it like a, I'm gonna give it a six, right? Like yeah. it's enjoyable, it's kind of fun. The first half is okay, second half mm. is a bit better. Uh, but if you're a fan and you've enjoyed Lucifer so far, it's re- it really is more of the same. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much of more of the same I can take, despite the fact that it's been a guilty pleasure. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel I feel the same way as well. Uh, and I, I rate it similarly as well. Uh, next up, um, we're moving on to the new mutants. Uh, shot in 2017, uh, it's subjected to a lengthy post-production period that included plans for reshoots, uh, the sale of 20th Century Fox to Disney, uh, several postponed release dates, including one this past April due to the coronavirus pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the long-delayed New Mutants is finally out. Uh, and if you're a long-time listener, uh, you recall that way back in the December of 2017, on our first episode, I declared that New Mutants was my most anticipated release of 2018. <laughs> Uh, over two years later, two and a half years later, uh, two, two and three quarters years, almost three years later, right? And no less than eight different postponed release dates that have been announced and then cancelled and then announced and cancelled. I finally got to see it, and boy, was I disappointed. Uh, this horror take on the X-Men franchise held such promise, particularly because it was based on Bill Sankiewicz's uh, famous and legitimately frightening uh, the Demon Bear Saga yep. uh, in the New Mutants comics in the 1980s. In fact, it's, it's still one of my favorite comic book runs of all time. Uh, sadly, Josh Boone's adaptation is a pale imitation. Yeah. Uh, this asylum-set psychological thriller could have been great if perhaps you know Josh Boone had gotten his wish for an R-rated cut. Or perhaps it wasn't his fault entirely. Who knows? You know, after all, there are so many cooks in the kitchen with all the studio reshuffles. Uh, there's, n- there's no less than eight credited writers that have uh, written and rewritten the script. Uh, as it is now under the Disney Overlord, this uh, PG movie isn't scary at all. It kind of dilutes the trauma and the fear that these characters are dealing with. Yep. 
the premise that the worst fears of these young mutants manifesting, you know, they've all suffered some, for, some sort of abuse, is great. But when the portrayal is this mild, is disappointing. La. At best, uh, Blue Hunt, who plays Danny Moonstar, Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays Ileana Rasputin, and Maisie Williams, who plays uh, Rani Sinclair, uh, all give terrific performances. Uh, but this f- overall feels like one of the lower-tier episodes of Buffy. Oh, man. Which is... <laughs> Hilarious because the characters, right, are shown multiple times in the ep- in the movie watching Buffy. Uh, it's like Buff- clips of Buffy episodes are shown on screen right before the movie rips off what that Buffy episode did. You know, a bit of a nod of the head or a direct ripoff, I would say, uh-huh. of of, the, of those Buffy clips, and and the movie replicates the exact same beats from the show. Um, so it, it's kind of a generic hor- horror derivative storytelling, and the teen angst on display here is very disappointing. It's a four out of ten for me. Oh man, okay, that's, that's All right. sad. Uh, next up, let's talk about uh, a new Netflix film called Project Power. Yep. Uh, it, it is set in New Orleans. Uh, Project Power is about the spread of a mysterious new pill that unlocks superpowers unique to each user. Uh, the catch is you don't know what will happen until you take it. Uh, while some develop things like bulletproof skin, invisibility, super strength. Uh, others uh, develop things that are more lethal uh, or you may even die from it. Uh, but when the pill escalates crime within the city to dangerous levels, yep. a local cop, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, teams with uh, a teenage dealer and former soldier fueled by a secret vendetta uh, Jamie Foxx uh, to, to fight power with power and risk taking the pill in order to uh, track down and stop the group uh, responsible for creating it. Uh, so Project Power is a, is a hard R action flick set in the streets. Uh, it is, it is, <laughs> it is uh, trying so hard to be the, the gritty image comic come to life. Uh, that uh, the film kind of pummels the viewer with an overwhelming blend of you know hip hop musical cues and graffiti covered walls and, and in your face camera work you know try, just trying to convince the, the the viewers that this is a movie that hums with uh, the energy of the streets you know um so so what do you think about Project Power? Meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically that's it. I mean it's very flashy. Eh? Don't mm. get me wrong. It's really really flashy. I think the CGI was pretty solid overall. Uh, yep. but it's just that right like it it feels like a movie that was written by committee it really does like it checks every box that you would need um to get you know like feedback (laughs) from a from a from from a group um the story is weak uh the characters are weak i mean like i i think the most fleshed out character is 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 robin right it's dominic fishback uh who plays robin and i think she does a pretty good job at that but like Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are just phoning it in. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's nothing that we've not seen from them. And I mean, understandably so. The characters don't have any sort of depth to them to begin with. Like, there could be so much more... Um, in the time that we're living in, right? Like, you know, with, with um, questions about the police and with law and with, like, unrest and, and all of those things. Uh, yeah. Like, this could have been pretty zeitgeist, you know, mm-hmm. if they had spent the time to examine the issues that surround this, the the, the, the pill, right? Like the pill itself, it's not not what the movie should be about, but ultimately that is is what, I mean, like they didn't, they brushed over all sorts of issues, right? Like should law mm-hmm. enforcement agents be also be allowed, right, to, to use this pill, you know, do we fight power with power, you know, like uh, who... Uh, who is it that ultimately suffers when something like this is released? And then it's we got this huge evil corporation. There's so many mm-hmm. things here that are just thrown into the mix um, without much thought, yep. you know. And and it's it's incredibly messy. And 
uh, not very well told and like it's it's uh, meh is my yeah yeah uh, four out of ten for me. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm gonna give it a four out of ten as well. Like if it's just something that you wanna not bother thinking and watch it, sure. But like I don't think it's worth your time. Yeah, same. Uh, finally, for quick hits, uh, I'll be talking about Star Trek Lower Decks. Mm. Uh, Mike Mahan, uh, who is the writer of Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites, uh, he says a new animated comedy called uh, Star Trek uh, Lower Decks uh, is a spin-off of, of Star Trek, as you can guess. Uh, the show follows the support crew of one of Starfleet's least important ships, the USS Cerritos, uh, a ship specializing in second contact, which means that they visit uh, new planets after the A-team has, always, has already done the more prestigious work. Uh, their jobs are routine and bureaucratic. They usually involve paperwork. The lead characters are young goofballs who are funny and relatable, but far from the paragons of bravery and diplomacy and heroism that mm-hmm. Star Trek is known for. Uh, it's also radically non-serialized, with uh, each episode representing its own comic adventure for our bumbling protagonist. It's a fun and breezy show and has a ton of amazing deep-cut Star Trek in-jokes for long-time fans, uh, but it may be a bit too fun and breezy to the point where I can't get emotionally invested in any of the characters and the situations they're put in have no stakes. So why should I care? Um, I guess there is something admirable about how fiercely committed Lower Decks is to being low-stakes entertainment, which is difficult to achieve for a Star Trek show since it's an inherently philosophical and anthropological franchise about how politics, religion, and culture can either unite or divide us. But the, the problem is not really is that it's not interested in anything. It's it's like a throwback to old sitcoms with no character developments uh-huh. and very simple gags. Um, it's not entirely bad. It, at best, it's an amusing and zany show. But unlike other much better track parodies like uh, Gal- Galaxy Quest or, or the Orville, the or the official track parody has little regard for the ethos of Star Trek and what it stands for. Uh, which is why it's a mix for me. Like it's a five out of ten. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, I yeah. All right. All right. No. Yeah. Um, next up, we're d- jumping into uh, Isis Corner now. It's called Isis Anime Corner. Yeah. But I'll I'll be starting it off with uh, the new season of Agretsuko. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Agretsuko, uh, season three. Um, to me, Agretsuko, <laughs> the anime, has been one of the most uh, cathartic television watches since it uh, debuted in 2018. Uh, a Netflix original series from Sanrio. Uh, the series follows an uh, office worker slash red panda, uh, Retsuko, as she lives uh, her life as a mild-mannered woman who has to deal with the pressures of a toxic workplace, uh, romance, a uh, domineering mom, and pretty much uh, any other existen- existential millennial problem women in their mid to, mid-20s to early 30s face. Uh, to deal with the anxiety and pressure, Retsuko finds refuge in a karaoke room and screams death metal. Uh, <laughs> While last season was relatable to a scary degree, directly tackling interpersonal toxicity in the workplace and, and what to do when the person you love isn't looking for the same future, um, Agretsuko Season 3 manages to offer up a more whimsical narrative that still hits home in terms of representing everyday problems. Agretsuko Season 3 shows audiences a Retsuko who is dealing with the emotional fallout of last season. Uh, having broken up with Tadano, she loses herself in a virtual video game, a virtual dream uh, with a dream boyfriend. You know, it's one of those boyfriend video games or girlfriend video games, you know. Uh, but also the world of microtransactions uh, because, you know, she's forced to buy clothes for the boyfriend, you know, buy food for dates for this virtual boyfriend. It, it, it throws her finances into chaos uh-huh. and, and soon long nights in the video game begins to take their toll on Red Skull's work life. That is until her focus shifts into a new venture. So the bulk of uh, Red Skull Season 3 focuses on Red Skull 
as her life becomes intertwined with a J-pop idol band called the OTM Girls, uh, that is uh, comprised of uh, Hidarin, Manaka, Migi, and their manager, Hyodo. Uh, so what happens is uh, Retsuko gets into a car accident with Hyodo because, you know, she's so sleep-deprived. Uh, so Retsuko's debt skyrocketed. Uh, skyrockets, you know, she's out of money now. Yeah. So Retsuko joins the idol group uh, that he's managing as the accounting director. <laughs> Uh, but to her, to his surprise, to her surprise, like the group isn't doing very well. Uh, so she takes down the task of pushing them towards success. You know, at first it takes. Uh, at, at first it, fe- it feels like a fool's errand. Like she's constantly exhausted, working two jobs and exasperated. But slowly she starts to find fulfillment in the job when the OTM girls finally start to make a profit. It starts, start to get a bit bigger. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then she starts to break out of her own shell when. Uh, due to circumstances, she's forced to take over as the lead singer for the group, uh, turning it into a screamo baby metal kind of band. <laughs> um, but from there, new problems surface, you know, like particularly with regards to how seriously the grounded and reserved Red School is willing to take this new career. Yeah. Uh, and then towards the end of the season, the show kind of tackles uh, toxic fandom when a fan begins uh, stalking and harassing Red School. Uh, and it's kind of the most most scarier things that... Uh, Red School has, has kind of dealt with, you know, because it, it kind of puts our lead character in very real danger. Oh. And, and while Red School is having her own story, uh, Haida and Fenneko do what they can to find out what the Red Panda is hiding from them because she's she's obviously hiding her depths, but yep. she's also obviously hiding her idol career, uh, keeping it a secret. Uh, that's not all. Um, Haida, the hyena, uh, is still pining over Red School for the last uh, seasons, uh, last few seasons, and it all comes to a hit here. Uh, even as another girl in the office takes an interest in Haida, forcing him to choose between uh, someone who is unattainable versus giving this awesome new girl a shot. Uh, we also get to spend more time with uh, Haida, uh, but we also you know, spend more time with uh, uh, Retsuko's other friends like Gori, the gorilla, uh, who has her own side hustle by building a, a new dating app that's set to revolutionize Japanese marriages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so season three does a good job of not only showcasing new facets of Retsuko's personality, but also adding more depth to other characters in the story. Uh, this, this show is very amazing. It's uh, I love it. It's an anthropomorphic animal. It, it, the anthropomorphic animal character designs right fit the personalities of the characters, yeah. while cleverly subverting them at the same time. <laughs> um, additionally, there's just so many still images that that. I should sure become memes because you know not only are they fun to look at but their entire moods yeah. um, what, what, the, what the problems in Red Skull's life have uh, changed slightly the series remains uh, the most relatable thing that I watch on Netflix uh, so it's an 8 out of 10 for me yeah um, so what about you man uh, what, what are the uh, anime things that you've been watching uh, this uh, okay so uh, this, uh, there's, there's a dearth of new anime that I'm going to recommend uh, yep. But I am going to go through like a lot of returning series that I think if if people aren't aware have have uh, we I highly rated their first or second seasons and now that they're back uh, mm. I just want to kind of talk about that. So I think the biggest thing that people were kind of looking forward to was the second season of ReZero. Yeah. Uh, for people unfamiliar, basically ReZero takes place in an isekai in a different world where our main protagonist Subaru dies a lot. Mm-hmm. A, a lot and uh, he suffers a lot before he dies and uh, in season one he finally managed to kind of uh, you know wrap up the entire story but uh, not without uh, sacrificing a great deal of things and season two just promises to be much of the same um, ReZero was wildly popular when it first came out uh, just because like people uh, it's been a while since people had gotten that much suffering for a main protagonist mm. uh, and um 
uh, the kind of punishment that he goes through and how he just kind of continually picks himself up is is very very painful to watch right it's almost masochistic uh in the way that it is framed and i think that resonated with a fair amount of people so much so that it became extremely popular um so now um they had just wrapped up a kind of um a a retelling of the first season uh, with additional um, scenes and things like that um, uh, and now season 2 is finally out and I'm here to tell you that it is more of the same kind of punishment mm. uh, and it's it's still really really good uh, the stakes mm. now are very very different from the beginning because you know when you're first when Subaru is first introduced to the world or when we are first introduced to the world that he is in we don't really have an idea of what's going on but now that you know he, he he's kind of a bit more uh, familiar with the characters in his world and like the way that the world works and what the rules are about as as far as you know dying and reincarnation and repeating the story over and over again uh the stakes have um have gone up right and now um rem is missing and uh i'm not going to go into too, too much detail because um there are a fair few interesting things that that happen a couple of twists and turns that you don't uh, really expect uh, but yeah uh, ReZero is uh, everything that the first season was and a lot more and I think if you enjoyed the first one you can um, you you most certainly enjoy where this is going right now I yeah. believe it is currently um, it's currently more than midway through the season so there's a fair bit to binge if you would like to although I will say that this is kind, it's kind of hard to binge through eight episodes at one go just because of how painful it is sometimes yep. Uh, so yeah, uh, ReZero season two. Uh, please go check that out. Please go check out the first season if you haven't seen it. Um, mm-hmm. it is a interesting take on the isekai genre. Um, there is a lot of dying. There's a fair bit of gore. Uh, it's pretty well done though, I have to say, and uh, it's one of the more like creepy scores musically that we've gotten in a while. Um, so please go ahead and check that out. Definitely. Nice. Uh, I'm going to talk about the return of Fire Force. Um, Fire season Force, two. yeah. Netflix, uh, right? Yeah, so right now, it, it's been added on Netflix. And I mean, like, the guys who, who um, program the anime stuff at Netflix, big kudos to them. I think, like, uh, for any kind of old title that I've already watched that I love, it's probably already on Netflix unless it's really, really obscure. Uh, a lot of fan favorites are on there as well. And like Fire Force in its first season was a great, great show. The animation is great. The music is great. The character development is kind of reminiscent of a lot of shonen anime, but it has its own kind of twist to it. For people yep. who have enjoyed, um, well, not Naruto per se, but uh, uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's a kind of fresh take on, on, on um, how shonen animes go, right? Uh, it, it's a bit more faster paced. There aren't any filler episodes. Uh, the world building is fascinating. And the animation style is pretty breathtaking at times. The fight scenes mm. are some of the best I've seen uh, in recent years. I would say that, very honestly, um, its first season was overshadowed by Demon Slayer. Right, yeah. Uh, and last year, right? Yeah, yeah, last year, right? But it is up there with, with some of the best anime that has come out in recent years. Mm. Uh, you know, so we, we follow... Um, we followed uh, our firefighters as well as they continue to delve into the mysteries of their world and 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 who is actually behind, uh, you know, all the the combustions and accidents and the way that their world works at the moment. Um, and uh, some pretty interesting finds, some pretty uh, world-shaking finds, if I, I may say so. Uh, mm. Again, it's more than midway through. I think it's like on episode eight or nine right now. Um, 
Netflix is slightly behind, I think, by two episodes. Um, okay. But yeah, great stuff. Uh, I, I really, really like the show. And uh, honestly, like right now with, uh, with Demon Slayer being on hiatus until the next season, this might be the best anime out at the moment. Yeah, nice. Nice. Uh, I'm also going to talk about uh, the second season of the new Sword Art Online LSIZATION War of the Underworld. Oh, wow. Um, so basically, this is the kind of... Uh, the naming convention is very problematic, right? Yeah, yeah. I have trouble keeping up. Yeah, so LSIZATION is actually season three. I see. But they there's so much to adapt from this particular arc that it has split into multiple seasons of its own. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was Sword Art Online Asization, which was Sword Art Online Season 3 that went into Sword Art Online War of the Underworld Season 1, uh, which I yep. talked about as well. And now we're into Season 2. Uh, and we are like neck deep, right? Into the story right now. Like, um, you're not going to be able to jump into this any at any point in time. I feel like... Uh, Sword Art Online has been one of those franchises that if you haven't quite followed from the beginning, you're going to get lost. Uh, yeah. But for fans of the series, <clears throat> who were very disappointed with how Season 2 kind of turned out with all the arcs that were there. Gun Girl Online was okay. Um, yeah. You know, but like, uh, it, it, it kind of was a slump, right? I think with Alicization, both with the movie and with the first season, or with Season 3, they kind of really, really picked up the pace and it was very reminiscent of the first episode because they bring a lot of fresh ideas and kind of like philosophic, thematically philosophical things to the table about like what is the nature of being, um, you know, uh, can AIs have a soul and so on and so forth. Like all of these things are, are tackled uh, in very kind of um, uh, gritty, like very real gritty ways. Uh, going into War of the Underworld Season 2, all of our favorite characters are now included in, in, in the story, uh, whereas at first it was just basically Kirito as always, yep. uh, but now everything has come to a fall. We are reaching kind of like the climax of the of this particular arc as well. The battle scenes go from like really detailed, dynamic, small fights with our our uh, main group uh, to like these massive, all full-scale wars that are like kind of stunning to, to kind of watch. Uh, and uh, it's a whole flurry of things that if you've been a fan of Sword of Online and you've, you've been... Um, catching up with, with what they've been doing like continues to be very very good uh, and very very promising uh, I, they have slumped off a bit on you know the kind of more heady ideas that they had in season 1 uh, yeah. but that doesn't take away from the sheer enjoyment because now after kind of like contemplating all those things you're seeing the consequence of that and how they play out and it's very satisfying nice okay uh, uh, any other recommendations from the world of enemy uh, yeah so just two more um my teen romantic comedy snafu climax, which is the second season, which we third, will kind of uh, third season, sorry, and which we will yeah. dive into, yeah, uh, on our next on episode an... of Behold. So I'm not going to yeah. say much about that. Uh, Hits is a big fan now, uh, which is yes, great. Uh, completely caught up with it. Yeah. So uh, I I think by the time we we will the season will almost be done. I think by the time we record Behold, uh, mm-hmm. so we'll talk a bit more about that there. But uh, not to say one of my favorite. Uh, slice of life uh, uh, comedy anime uh, of all time, right? Uh, yes. It's so good. It's very special. Don't be thrown off by the strange name uh, or the very long name. Like it really has some of the best things that that <laughs> the best comedy the anime has to offer. Right? Yeah. And so that's been going on. It's uh, slightly more than halfway through the season as well. And uh, I'm gonna wrap up with the only new anime. <laughs> 
oh, wow. recommendation okay. that I have for this season, and it's called Decadence. Uh, so stylized as uh, Decadence, um, we are introduced to a post-apocalyptic world where humanity is driven to the brink of extinction by the sudden emergence of an unknown uh, insectoid life form called Gadol. Okay. Um, these humans have uh, survived in a mobile fortress that that's like three hundred uh, three kilometers high, um, called Decadence, which is built to protect them from the Gadol threat. Uh, the denizens of this mobile fortress fall into two main categories: you have gears who are warriors who fight the Gadol on a daily basis, and the tankers who are basically your working class who who um, keep the mobile fortress running and they, they, they clean the place, they make sure everything is fueled up and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, we follow the story of Natsume who is a tanker girl uh, who dreams of becoming a gear one day and um, through um, just living her life and, and going through the process of growing up in uh, decadence, she meets uh, Kaburagi who is an armor repairman uh, and who has a secret uh, past as well as an ongoing secret as well. So the ch- the chance meeting of the two ends up in some pretty interesting uh, adventures, and uh, there's a huge kind of twist that happens fairly early on, oh, but wow, it's okay. kind of mind blowing at the same time because it changes the entire story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I'm not gonna spoil, but to say that it took me, uh, I was I was completely caught off guard by that. Like there were hints of it and a bit of foreshadowing that I didn't pick up on very very early on. Um, but the twist midway through the season turns the entire story on his head and gives it a totally different meaning Uh, and like kind of mind-blowing I'm going to call it now and I'm going to say that Decadence is going to get picked up by by Netflix um, pretty much as soon as it's done I think that uh, what I've seen so far is set it out to be pretty interesting it's got some very very dynamic combat uh, given that um, I won't go into like the pseudoscience of it, but basically like it's aerial combat, right? Like it's it is uh Starship Troopers but aerial combat. So it's Starship oh, wow. Troopers meets like Attack on Titan. Is what it feels like, right? And it's yeah. it the, the fight scenes are pretty fucking amazing. Nice. I have to say. So my one and only recommend new anime recommendation from, from this season. Yeah. Uh hopefully we are getting I mean like um things are kind of coming back online as far as uh, as as anime studios go so they're uh, as disappointing as this summer season has been fall seems to have quite a few fan favorites coming back and a few big titles coming up so mm-hmm. let's look forward to that in the months to come awesome yes uh, yeah a lot of our big uh, a lot of the big titles are coming up uh, October onwards yep. so uh, we're excited for that uh, I think a lot of the summer shows that have been pushed to fall and plus all the regular fall shows yeah. uh, will make it a very exciting uh, anime season next up yeah. Uh, and yeah uh, we're going to end off with uh, what we like to call genre equality issues where we talk about the issues play- plaguing the genre uh, the genre world uh, firstly I would like to kick it off with um, what's happening over at DC Comics right now uh, shockingly there have been massive massive layoffs uh, that has gutted DC Comics completely. Um, the merger between AT&T and Time Warner you know, into yet another monolithic media mega corporation uh, has seen a massive wave of uh, firings uh, targeted primarily at Warner Brothers. Uh, one area hit hardest was DC Entertainment yep. with uh, reports of uh, huge swaths of staff at both DC Comics and DC Universe being laid off. Uh, what is that a shocking one-third 
of DC Comics' editorial staff were, were part of the roughly 600 layoffs uh, over at uh, Warner Media, uh, including editors like Brian Cunningham, Mark Doyle, and Andy Curry, uh, the latter of which actually formed a major part of DC's uh, rebranding and reorganization of its comic output. Uh, yep. he, he created the Black Label line a few years ago. Uh, senior members of uh, DC's editorial operations were not spared either. Um, the senior VP of Publishing Strategy and Support Services, uh, VP of Marketing, VP of uh, Creative Services, uh, and a whole lot more. Like, there's just too many people to this. It's it's a bloodbath over there, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, Editor-in-Chief Bob Harris, uh, who has actually faced scrutiny for years uh, for his alleged uh, protection of employees uh, like sexual harasser uh, Eddie Borganza uh, and Scott Lobdell, you know, was another major departure, although I feel like he would have been fired anyways. Uh, however, Jim Lee, who is uh, DC's chief commercial uh, officer, C uh, CCO, remains in place uh, and reports that uh, AT&T, for reasons inexplicably known, is looking to bring in a new general manager above Jim Lee, above the edit editorial agent. Really? Yeah. Uh, and he they are hiring from the world of eSports. Huh. What? To, to be the senior editor, um, which... I don't quite understand. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't understand at all, you know. Um, uh, other areas that, that were hit by the layoffs, you know, uh, DC collectibles, you know, the, the merchandising arm of DC that creates action figures, statues, and other collector memorabilia, uh -huh. you know. Uh, they have been shut down as well. Uh, cut entirely. Uh, DC Universe, the streaming service that, you know, premiered uh, Doom Patrol, Swamp Thing, Harley Quinn... Uh, Titans uh, has been completely erased. Uh, all their shows will be moving to HBO Max. This one is okay. Like, I mean, I, I totally understand this. Like, yeah. Why have two different streaming services when you can just, you know, simplify it and, and bring them all into, into one thing? Like. Mm -hmm. The only problem with that is that DC Universe wasn't solely creating uh, TV or film content. DC Universe was also supposed to be the backlog of DC archives, you know. Yeah. You pay a, a certain monthly fee, you can read uh, everything from DC's archives. Yeah. So, the, HBO Max doesn't have anything like that. So, there is no more DC um, online service to basically stream comics. Uh, so, and, and just in terms of the publishing uh -huh. uh, arm of DC, terrible. Like, I have no idea what's going to go forward. I don't know whether this is... Uh, I mean, DC has always been considered one of the big two, yeah. you know, Marvel and DC. You know, I, I don't know whether DC will be part of the big two anymore because it seems like other companies like Image and, and Boom Studios uh, right now seem to be more popular and, and bigger than DC is. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm very, very worried about the future of DC Comics. Yeah, uh, I, I think with the news broke, like, it's... What what are we gonna get out of DC now? You know, like with everything that's going on, we got the Snyder Cut, right? That's about it. <laughs> that's not. Uh, um, I'm. I'm the Batman and Wonder Woman eighty four and and things like that. Yeah, so all of those are still on track, right? Yeah, yeah, but those are like you know films uh, which are based yeah. on the comics, which I don't know whether will exist, you know, in in a, in a coming few years. Uh. Yeah, so I mean, like I hope I hope they figure it out or they get something together because like we're it's at a it's I think it's dire enough that we might lose a lot of like uh, fan favorite kind of franchises or even a lot of legacy stuff that we've come mm. to to love over the years. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it it's tough like and it also. 
uh, I, it makes me think that like DC will take less risks, you know, going forward. Like they won't be having any kind of vertigo esque titles. They're probably going to be leaning to a lot of the mainstream ones to to make their corporate overlords happy, like yeah. making them money, a higher profit, and things like that. Uh, so it's uh, it's worrying for the state of our publishing. You know, Marvel yeah. has has its own issues, but at the very least, you know, Mar- Marvel still owns Marvel Studios, which is making them a shit ton of money. Mm. They're, they're not laying off anybody at, at the moment. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We'll see what what happens with DC in 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 the months and years to come, lah. But it doesn't look good. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Kind of moving on from that, yeah. as well. Uh. So, I just want to talk uh, really quickly about uh, the demise of of Kiss Anime and Kiss Manga, two of the biggest um portals, I think, for for anime and manga in the last couple of years. So, uh, this month, um. Both sites uh, officially announced that they were closing down permanently, and largely in part to um, lawsuit, law, uh, legal action being taken um, by Japanese, <clears throat> the Japanese government, and all of uh, the creators. Mm. Um, so, for those of you that don't know, the Japanese government uh, on I think the fifth of June, right, uh, passed two new amendments to existing copyright laws to tackle the growing issue of of uh, piracy of um, anime and manga, uh, along with, with magazines and academic texts, but that that doesn't affect genre as much. Uh, At so all, the, yeah. yeah. So the existing copyright laws have always covered their stuff like music and movies and anime, but the new laws have um, brought the uh, brought in like stiffer punishments um, looking to deal with the digitalization of print media and, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, so... Uh, leech websites, for example, uh, such as Kiss Anime and Kiss Manga, uh, who for the longest time have been able to operate underneath a loophole whereby they aren't hosting the actual content itself, but only posting the links to it. Yep. Uh, um, they've gotten away with it for years and years on end, right? Uh, but the new law makes it illegal to even operate uh, or even post download links on message boards, you know, with penalties mm-hmm. going up to like five years jail time or even I think it's like five million yen. Uh, a fine wow. of 5 million yen or both, right? And uh, the law at first only covered websites run by people inside Japan. Uh, okay. um, but right now, um, it's looking at, it's expanding uh, to to the to others as well, right? So the second part of the law, uh, mainly about manga itself, right? Um, so two years jail time, 2 million yen and that kind of thing. Um so there are still plenty of leech websites that are out, but I don't think any of them uh, reach kind of like the scale that Kiss Anime or Kiss Manga were operating on mm. in that time. So uh, we are moving into a very kind of different uh, world as, as as far as manga and anime goes, um, just with less access or less free access, I think. Um, yeah. A lot of people, there's been a lot of debate about whether or not the death of these kind of websites is more detrimental or more beneficial to the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, like piracy is definitely a concern when the money isn't being put in the hands of the people who are making the content itself. Yeah. Um, and there have, in, in the last couple of years, like there has been a lot of other platforms such as Funimation and Crunchyroll who have um, stepped in to fill that kind of gap, right? I think Crunchyroll right now has one of the biggest databases as a paid streaming service for anime. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and of course, Netflix himself also has, has been growing its own catalog. 
Um, so just kind of to pick your brain here, it's like about, um, you know, does this change very much how people are going to be able to consume and watch anime? Um, does it actually, you know, um, cause the the overall reach of, of the medium to be less than before when it's it's shut um, behind paywalls? Um, I think, first of all, Japan's crackdown on anime manga uh, and, and anime piracy uh, is not going to have much an effect on piracy, actually, I, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. because there are hundreds of alternative sites out there. Yeah. Your nine, nine enemies and etc. You know, uh, are still going to be up and about. Uh, the enforcement of you know, fining and uh, the enforcement of this new law for people who live outside of Japan is next to impossible. Yep. Uh, so there's nothing that can be done about that. So I don't actually think uh, it, it will ha- take a temporary hit right now in terms of uh, exposure because Kiss Enemy is so huge and Kiss Manga is so big. Yep. But the the people who illegally download and illegally stream are just going to switch over to torrents or switch to other streaming sites. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's the issue of... Um, Back in the day, when when Metallica thought that they closed down Napster, that was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, nothing is going to change, like in my opinion. Actually. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. kind of brings me to to my follow up point, right? Yeah. Like uh, we were discussing this some time ago, especially when we were re- we were going through all the like, kind of the manhwa I was recommending, like uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, solo leveling and and so on. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of content creators are going straight to the consumer right now, right? And I think we see that a lot with Manhua, uh, both Chinese and, and Korean. Um, yep. and, and Webtoons going straight to the consumer itself. And these creators basically getting their support directly from the consumer via Patreon, yes. via donations and all of that. But essentially, the content that they are making is free, you know? And yeah. then sponsors come in and, and advertisers come in and so on and so forth. Uh, much like how things are done on YouTube. Do you feel that... Um, in Japan, like the manga industry is behind on a trend like that, where you know these smaller time creators who don't have their own big publishers like Tencent or so on and so forth, right, mm-hmm. have found uh, spaces for themselves to be financially um, sustainable. Yeah, um, a little bit lah. Um, Japan's um, entertainment industry is is I think kind of still bogged down by tradition, and they have been really um, adapted in the way that uh, other industries have adapted, yeah. uh, entertainment industries, that is. Um, so yeah, it will be a, a detriment for now. But I think they will adapt uh, eventually, you know, because, you know, uh, look at Shonen Jump yeah. uh, and, and, and things like that. They, they will end up um, offering, if not free, uh, cheap alternatives for them, even if it is behind a paywall. Yeah. Uh, because as far as I know, Shonen Jump is, is insanely affordable. Mm-hmm. You know? it's, it's just like, it's, it's less than a dollar, you know? Uh, and you have like this huge back catalog and new monthly issues, and even the free version of Shonen Jump, still you can get a lot from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think Japan right now will slowly transition into online distribution. Yeah. Uh, more so than before, uh, and find ways to legitimize it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the piracy issue isn't going away, like, Much you know, in the same way that piracy issue isn't going away for Western things mm-hmm. or with anything in, going on in the world. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll kind of see where how I mean how these things pan out. You know. Uh. I mean. Um. Definitely, uh, the closing down of Kiss Anime and Kiss Manga is is a is big news, and then we just want to cover cover it and kind of the issues surrounding that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been no secret that uh, uh, the anime industry in particular has been struggling for a while now. 
Uh, and especially with with the pandemic that's going on, you know, a lot of projects have been put on hold. But generally, mm-hmm. there hasn't been as much money going into the industry as mm-hmm. the amount of money that's being spent on it right now. Like, there's a huge demand for for content in that area worldwide, but a lot of it isn't actually a lot of the uh, a lot of it of the money that is being made from there isn't getting you know back to the studios or isn't even getting to the people who are actually drawing the stuff. Right. Um, yeah. And with a, with a, a couple of documentaries coming out and a lot of interviews coming out about how poorly paid a lot of the animators are right mm. now, you know. So it will be interesting to see if we move away from that uh, to more independent animators coming up with their own stuff and, and whether or not they can match the kind of quality that we see from like major studios like Kyoto Animation and, and uh, mm. Production IG and so on and so forth, you know, because it, it, it is looking like the system is at a, a at a critical point right now where either they evolve and become more sustainable for everyone involved um, or, you know, people are just going to go their own way and find other ways to, do, um, you know, express themselves uh, but, and be financially sustainable at the same time. Um, I feel it's happened in, in Western comics already. A lot of uh, creators, uh, the big ones at least, have yeah. been moving to create their own... Uh, their own companies yeah. where they get at least a 50% share of everything yeah. uh, or they're moving on to just independently producing their own books uh, and releasing it via um, you know the, the several creators right now with Kickstarters yeah. uh, you pay me money I can publish this for you then I send it out to you you know it's it might move towards uh, either creator-owned or having more creator-owned freedoms mm-hmm. or if they don't do that, like uh, the, because the mainstream system is failing at the moment, the mainstream system isn't adapting. Yeah. So you know, yeah, I think that that's you're right, like, That's the way they they're gonna go. Like, they're gonna go online, direct to consumer, or at least go to a company that gives them creator own freedoms and creator own equity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I think I mean I wouldn't be surprised if we're due for a shake up in the anime industry. So yeah. but we'll see. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, and, and that wraps it up for Genre Equality 33. Uh, we will be back uh, next month. Uh, we have a significantly smaller number of things <laughs> to talk about next month. It's probably going to be an hour-long show. Uh, but we will be talking about the third entry into the Bill & Ted franchise, Bill & Ted Face the Music. Yep. Uh, we'll be talking about Mulan, which is actually being released in Singapore theaters, but uh, in, in America, and in North America at least, uh, it will be released on Disney+. Plus. Finally, Janelle Monae's uh, horror film, uh, Antebellum, mm-hmm. is going to be released. No idea what the plot is. Don't want to know until I watch it. I like the mystery of it. Um, we'll be talking about, in quick hits, the new season of The Boys. Uh, I'll be talking about uh, Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous, which is apparently a young, <laughs> uh, um, basically for aimed at kids 5 to 8, uh, an animated show. Um, there's a new film called The Secret Garden, based on a famous book. A uh, new series called Utopia. Um, there's a zombie film called Alive from Korea that's uh, premiering on Netflix. I'm going to be talking about Dragon's Dogma, which is the animation series based on the tabletop game. Yep. And a new hard sci-fi uh, show about astronauts going to Mars called, called Away, starring uh, Hilary Swank. So we'll be talking about all that. And plus, uh, I'll be delving into my recent uh, obsession with Haikyuu, because Haikyuu <laughs> is back next, uh, next month. In October, Haikyuu is back, yep. finally. I've caught up with all four seasons on Netflix and I'm going to tell you what I think. Uh, <laughs> TL didn't listen. It's very good. Uh, and uh, for the poll list, uh, I'll be talking about a ti- an old title called uh, Bitch Planet. But you know, all in all, it's, it's a lot lesser than what we're talking about 
this month. And and I almost forgot about a really Scott show called Raised by Wolves, mm. uh, which looks fascinating. But the, the thing is, I don't know whether Raised by Wolves is going to be a binging thing, whether they're going to release all episodes in yeah. September or whether it's going to be monthly. Yeah. So if it's uh, monthly, um, weekly. So if it's weekly, we'll probably cover it um, three when, episodes from now. Yeah. If when it's done. a binge thing, yeah, then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it uh, next month. Lah. Okay. Uh, and also there's a title that is popping up on uh, an American streaming service called Peacock, which is called Knots and Crosses, although it's already premiered on the BBC earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it posits an alternate uh, universe, uh, uh, alternate history, whereby uh, 700 years ago, Africa colonized Europe and what it would look like today in present-day London. Uh, very interesting show uh, that kind of flips uh, racial power structures on its head. Uh, very cool, yeah. So that's up uh, next month. Uh, and, and is there anything else that I missed that you would like to add? Uh no, I don't think so. Actually, there there's this new anime that's on Netflix, like a Netflix original that's a Western thing. Okay, okay. The Great Pretender. So I haven't caught cool. it yet. Uh, I I might check it out and then we'll we'll just chuck it in as a, like a quick review. It it looks pretty good. I have to say, like I was pretty taken by the um taken by the trailer. So I'll probably dive into that as well. Nice. Okay, so the you can look out for the Great Pretender then as well. Uh, till then, this has been Hitler. This is Isa. Uh, goodbye, guys. Have a good one. Ciao.